Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Occasionalist. It's Adam Chemielewski here with the one and only Matthew Pagel. Matt, how are we doing today, buddy? I'm doing pretty well, doing pretty well. Um, I'm sitting here wearing like 10 masks. Um, hopefully you can hear me through all of them. I'm actually screaming through them all. Um, just got to keep ourselves safe in these uh, in these difficult times, as every commercial on TV says now. Oh, yes, you totally fucking bet. And I'm not going to lie, like you sound at the normal volume. So please keep on screaming. I'm actually worried that if you talk any lower than that, it might sound like a whisper through all that mask action. <laughs> but I'm very happy to hear that uh, that you're doing everything to stay safe. And hopefully you had a great holiday, a nice relaxing one, because God only knows there wasn't much to do. <laughs> nope. <so. laughs> but uh, for today's episode, we're going to be talking about something just like a kind of a half reality, half thought experiment episode called the next civil war, the second civil war. Well, we'll figure it out. But anyway, and the reason that I, um, you know, was interested in doing this particular topic is because I have noticed an awful lot of people making comparisons or bringing up the civil war. And I'm not going to lie. Like, actually, the more and more I think about this, I've been hearing about it for a very, very long time. For some reason, it's just not been the last two or three years. But I don't know. I'm just really interested to do something. We're going to talk about the potential of one, do a little bit of a thought experiment, kind of like a giant game of risk. And we're going to, you know, have a little fun and just kind of talk about, like, the potential of a second civil war. Sorry, I usually do a writing down a big opening speech this time. I totally forgot that never doing that again. So <laughs> before we jump into, um, before we jump into everything, I do have a quick little uh, lightning round question for you. And w- what is your favorite movie that features a civil war? And it doesn't have to be the American civil war. It right. just can be a civil war. I think I'm, I'm stretching the term a little bit here. But I, uh, but I do think this counts, um, and that is V for Vendetta, um, a movie that I probably watch. I've probably seen about twenty to twenty-five times. Um, I, I rewatch it uh, on a very regular basis. Uh, fantastic movie. It's, it is. I, I'm actually. I, it's actually. I really need to read those comics. Um, I, it was what I'm really thinking now. But um, I guess you could say V for Vendetta takes place at like the beginning of what civil, or perhaps even the end of what a civil war was. Um, mm-hmm. if you really kind of think about it, it, it is the, the Norse fire party, uh, you know, by the time we pick it up in the movie, the Norse fire party has been in control for what, like 15 years, 25 years. It is something like that. Something I, mean, like that. I am pretty, pretty far removed from this movie, but I do love the shit out of it. Yeah. Yes. So there you go. V for Vendetta. I would say it's, it's probably, you know, you're not getting large scale battles or anything, but I think if the way like a civil war could possibly unfold in future America or, you know, any other developed country, it would look a lot like something like V for Vendetta. Dude, I really like that one. I want to read the comics. Like, if you do, please let me know about it. Like, everybody I know that's read them says it's really, really good stuff. So, yeah, I, I highly – this might be something we have to do together and maybe do an episode yeah. on the uh, the V for Vendetta graphic novel. Alan Moore, you really can't go wrong with anything mm-hmm. Alan Moore touches. So, And mine, like – I'm not going to lie. I thought I was going to have like a really creative answer for this one. Like I, when I wrote down this question, I was like, Oh my God, just imagine the possibilities of what I'd be able to talk about. And as I looked up, you know, movies that feature civil war, for some reason I thought I'd be able to reference one a lot better, but dude, I'm stuck here. I'm going with the empire strikes back. Like there you go. it's a classic example of intergalactic civil war. And I do like, as much as I looked at these movies, there's like movies like equilibrium. There's all this stuff that contain like rebels and things like that. And, I just don't have the same kind of attachment to 
those movies right. that do Star Wars. So as much as I wanted to open up with something really, really uh, in-depth and kind of like clever, I, it's, I'm stuck in basic Star Wars land, dude. Like I cannot get over um, the intergalactic Civil War element of Star Wars. It's phenomenal. Sometimes, sometimes the... It, you know what? The Especially The Empire Strikes Back, that's one of those things that would fit into that episode we did about things that are good for a reason. Like, we mm-hmm. like them because they're, you know, we like them because they're good, and they're good because they're just good. That's The Empire Strikes Back. There, You don't really need to read too much into that, because The Empire Strikes Back is a fantastic movie. Yeah, I'm telling you, I love the whole ending on a downer note. Like, there needs to be more big-time movies that just end, like, complete, completely depressing anyway. So, <laughs> okay. So... I got to, we got to bring this back just to kill a little bit of time in this episode. So I wanted to bring back five good minutes. Uh, Let's start it off. What do you got? Five good minutes. All right. So recently there has been a a big uh, kerfluffle, uh, a hubbub, calamity in the, in the gaming community. Um, And it's a, it's in particular relates to a game that I play that I've mentioned several times before uh, called destiny. And, there are two long-standing characters in this in the lo- in the long lore of this video game. Like literally, there are books you can buy that explain the backstory and some of the other stuff that's not that you don't like get to necessarily interact with in game. Um, there's even a guy on on Twitter. Um, I think his name is Biff, or he goes by Biff, mm-hmm. and he is he's the, he calls himself and everyone calls him the lore daddy. Like he is sort of like your go-to reference for everything everything uh, Destiny. In, in the world that uh, Bungie's created. Now, it goes it centers on these two characters, uh, Osiris and a kind of a robotic a robotic um, I don't know, they're androids like they have like human consciousness imported into them. Uh, so it's this human Osiris and this um, this robot with a with a ported uh, human consciousness called Saint 14. Um, they're they're like long-time immortals like they've been around since the beginning of time basically or since the beginning of the the beginning, I guess, like the, the the beginning time for what would be Destiny's like sort of time frame. They've been around for like a couple thousand years, and the Osiris in particular feels very distraught because centuries ago he let Saint Fourteen die, um, you know, on some like suicide mission, and he's been he literally has been traveling time trying to find a way to bring him back. And it turns out, according to the guy who does the story writing for one of the guys that does the story writing for uh, Destiny, it turns out that Saint-14 and Osiris are gay. And this has been like, angry gamers have come out left and right. One of the, one of the, uh, one of the tech writers, the tech and gaming writers that I follow, um, he just, he laid out a pretty good, nice story in Forbes, his name is Paul Tassie, laid out a nice story in Forbes about like, how, you know, how this is confirmed. This is definitely canon, it's not something that someone made up. Like, this is how they were written. Osiris and Saint-14 are, or were lovers at one point in time. Um, so, on this guy's story that he posted on Twitter, outraged gamers everywhere flipping out about, well, it doesn't make any sense. They were, like, I think that they were, they, you know, I took it this way, or I took it that way. Who cares if, who cares if they're gay anyway? And it's like, well, it doesn't matter how you take it, because this is what the people who made the fucking story said. <laughs> They said that these two characters are gay, so they're gay. Um, also, like, what does it matter? It, gaming is a as as this whole situation proves. Gaming is still a fucking toxic soup of fucking assholes who who are very repressive. Even though they want to pretend and seem like they're a little bit more open minded, there's still a lot of like repressive people in the gaming community, and it really matters when you have 
two A1 characters in a, in a video game that are gay. Not only that, they're two badass fucking characters. The Saint-14 character is, like, supposed to be the greatest warrior that ever lived. Um, Osiris is essentially this sort of, like, um, I mean, he's this, basically this sort of, like, like space magician that can, like, bend time to his will. So you're talking about, like, two of the most, like, important pieces of this video game are gay, and that's, like, a huge thing as far as representation goes. And it fucking pisses people off that these two are gay. And I'm like, you know what's funny? The game that you like didn't change. Nothing, the guns don't shoot differently. Um, you didn't become gay picking up your controller. Nothing terrible happened to you other than what is makes perfect sense. Why else would this man defy time and space to go back and bring someone back who died hundreds of years ago? Other than the fact that he clearly loved him and not in a friendship sort of way, in a lover sort of way. So it's been this very bizarre, this thing that really should be nothing in our current time frame of 2020. It should be nothing. It should just be like, oh, that's an interesting kind of thing. Um, is a big fucking deal, and it just shouldn't be. And it's really disappointing to see how many people are, are like aghast at this, confused by this, when again, nothing in your game changed. Nothing about about their importance in the game changed. Your character, your avatar in the game is not gay. Relax. You'll get over it. Dude, I, this shit, it's unfucking believable. And in the gaming community, and you made up a really good point, because I thought that they were a little bit more open to this kind of stuff in the gaming community. Like, I, this would be, like, the last place I would expect a whole lot of outrage, you know? Like, when I see gamers, I just don't imagine the most, like, socially enraged people you know i just kind of see like dudes chilling out like in front of the tv with a controller in their mm -hmm. hand you know and the fact i mean number one like it just it's like one of these like surprising but yet not surprising things which seems to be the theme of 2020 but dude i'm telling you it's just very very disappointing and you're right the game itself has not changed you're right the guns still fire the same way i'm sure you're still attacking people the same way yes, still yep. the same bad guys and creatures and stuff and it's almost like these people, like, I bet, like, in all reality, they're probably just embarrassed that they didn't figure it out before. You know, like, God damn it, how did I do this? Mm -hmm. And then couple it off with a whole lot of, like, homophobia and a consequence-free environment that social media allows. You just, it's just like the perfect storm for people to be fucking morons and everything. And uh, it's very unfortunate, it is. It's, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. And I, I know a big part of it is, like, there's no... There are no like mainstream gay action heroes, at least not like at least not male gay action heroes. And essentially these would be like sort of your first two in terms of like fictional action, sort of very mainstream. Um, you know, this obviously it's gaming isn't like mainstream the same way that movies are, but like millions upon millions upon million, millions of people play this game. I mean, it's yeah. a humongous community of people play this game. So to have two of your key figures to make essentially the greatest warrior in the world that yeah, the world had ever seen gay. That's like a, that's a pretty big fucking deal for that sort of action oriented fiction. Yeah. And like, let me ask you one quick question. Cause mm -hmm. I, I don't play this game. Is there any like missions where the characters would go and save women and then thus be Nothing romantic like no. with the whip? Nothing. Oh like God. That. That's bold. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Like it could have been. Yeah. So it was in the canon. It's supposed to have been like this the whole time. Like, how do people not even like entertain the idea that that might even be possible, especially in 2020? If this was like 2000, I might say differently. But in 2020, like how how does this not even enter your mind? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, just people like in several, you know, I think the game takes place about like two or three thousand years in the future. There's going to be gay people then. 
And just <laughs> like there's right. going to be gay people then. Just letting you know. Yeah, they're, they're going to be two thousand years in the future. There were gay people two, three thousand years ago. Yep. You know. <laughs> no, that it's it's fucking just awful, dude. It's unbelievable, man. And the one really and the one dude is physically a machine, so it's not like they can even have sex anyway. You know, he was probably they were probably lovers prior to the one becoming a machine. So, like, I mean, unless they're anatomically correct, I don't, I don't know, maybe. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, it's it's so it's not even like it's not even like that. Like, it's it's clearly, you know, I, I know I'm not like I'm not articulating this very well, but like, I'm assuming that if you were to try to imagine the scenario, one of them is a machine. So. You know, their love at this point is very, you know, it has to be deeper than, like, than sexual love, sexual attraction. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, Jesus Christ. And, like, the machine thing just adds a whole new element to it, too, dude. Like, it's, and it just seems like there's, like, people, people being people and being the worst part of people. It's yeah. just fucking disgusting. It really is. Anyway. It really, really is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, I still play that game and it's totally fine. I'm not gay. Um, so, Chema, <laughs> how about you play for five good minutes on me? Okay, so this is something that enrages me. Um, it's definitely you're being enraged for something of way more substance than what I'm about to be mad about. But I saw something this week that like it just really got me. And I usually don't get the level of anger that I was when I saw this particular thing that I'm about to describe. But dude, this one just really lit a fire under me. I almost wanted to tweet about it, but then I'm just like, nah, that's not gonna do it. And then I am that guy. You know what I'm saying? That I am that person that you just described, which is which is wrong. I'm not trying to be that guy. And the thing that really enraged me this week was the sight of the brand new Cleveland Cavaliers City Edition uniform, the jersey and the shorts that they just yeah. came out. I really hate this. Yeah. I really hate it so much. Like I I no joke, I shouldn't hate this as much as I do. But I really, really can't stand it. And now, if I'm not mistaken, the City Edition uniform last year was the throwback to the mid-90s with the black and the light blue. Is that, that correct? Um, last year was actually, they were, they were, the, they were the design from the, from the black and light blues, but they were the orange and blue. Or, okay. Yeah, okay. you know what I mean? Like it was the same kind of slash yeah. design, Yeah. but they were orange and blue instead. I remember. Okay, I definitely remember now. Which that design makes this look like. Oh, I mean, the, the new design makes that one look like look, the Mona Lisa. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So for everybody, so I'm just going to kind of give people a little bit of background here. And so for those who don't know, it's basically like a black jersey, and it says Cleveland written across the chest. And the word Cleveland, each one of the letters is in like a different font. So what they're going for, which is something that I want the city to just abandon outright is this whole like really leaning on the rock hall as if it's something people really give a shit about mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying or mm -hmm. even just being the rock and roll city like it's not it's just not like that like austin is a music city nashville is a, is a nashville music is city literally called music city <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right exactly so like there it's just no one no one thinks rock and roll and thinks Cleveland. You know, I just, it, I don't know anybody that does. And if there is anybody out there in the world that hears rock and roll and immediately thinks Cleveland, please comment it uh, when we, whenever we post the episode so we can all have at it in the comments. But, okay. So the, each letter starts off with the Cavaliers C, like the C that we've seen, you know, for the past couple of years now, or past, Jesus Christ, probably like 10 years now. Um, no, 20 years now, because this little brown's been in the league. But so it's the Cavs C. The L is um, 
the first L is the Sex Pistols. The E uh, comes from The Who. The V is David Bowie. Uh, the E is the, from the Metallica font. The L is from the, the Beatles logo. The Nirvana, the last day in Nirvana. Um, the N is from NWA. And the final D in Cleveland is the font from Pink Floyd's The Wall. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, it just is so goddamn generic. Like, even if you're going for the rock hall, like going for the rock and roll, like leaning on that, leaning on this pillar and stuff. This is one of the most generic goddamn things I've ever seen. Like, this just like there's this restaurant that Jess and I go to and it's called Rock and Brews. And it's just like a chain restaurant here in in Southern California, Mm. you know, and there's one there's one in LAX. And this place, like when you go into it, this place knows what it is. Okay, they like you go in there and it's just it's you could name every single poster of every band. They're not they're not trying hard. Okay, they call themselves Rock and Brews. Yeah, you're going to see a Beatles, Stones, a Who, like everybody you would think they have posters on the wall. Okay, Springsteen, everybody. This looks like it's trying too hard to even be generic. I just like I look at it and it's so bad. And I just feel like that this right here looks like something that you would buy in like a really tacky Cleveland souvenir store, you know, that's maybe in like Tower City or in like the in like the old arcade, something on 4th Street, like mm-hmm. a little small store you walk into. And it's like, oh, hey, this is like our this is like what we decided the Cleveland font would be. And it just drives me insane. And then to make matters even worse, just when I thought the jersey couldn't have pissed me off, then I saw the shorts <laughs> and the shorts are even worse than the jersey. <laughs> And like I since I I was younger and stuff like that and since I played basketball as a kid, like and we even we even did a whole fucking episode about uniforms and stuff. Yes, we did. I just happen to to love uniforms for, on sports teams. Okay. I, I fucking love this shit. I could talk about it forever and I am just agitated beyond the reason beyond all reasonable doubt at this design. I can't stand it. I don't even want to see them in it. Like it's just, it's disgusting. That's all I got on that dude. Cause it's just going to be the remaining time. Just me saying disgusting, fuck it over and over again. And I'm not going to put anybody <laughs> through that. <laughs> I was also tremendously disappointed by these things. Uh, it, it's, I'm hoping that like when you're watching it on TV or watching it in the seats, um, you know, probably I honestly, the way we're going, I can't imagine to let anyone even into the games, but if they do, I'm hoping that, like, you just kind of don't notice it. It just looks like they're wearing a black uniform. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of guessing that's what it is going to end up looking like, because, like, the t- even, like, the text for Cleveland is, like, it's not that big. Like, it's it's right. kind of small on the jersey because there's not that much real real estate on a basketball jersey. You just don't have that much room to work with anyway. Um, so maybe we just, like, won't see it. And we'll just kind of be able to pretend like it's anything else. Because... These are terrible. Um, they're you're like you're right. Like they're they're trying so hard to be sort of generic. You know what would have been really cool if they wanted to go this route to kind of pump up the hall, the rock hall. Um, pick pick the aesthetic from like one band or one musician every year. Like how like yeah. I mean it makes a little bit more sense. Like when uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves do like their Prince themed uniforms, right. that makes perfect sense because there's you know. When you not many cities, not many cities, especially cities like Minneapolis, have a celebrity, an entertainment celebrity as big as Prince, so that one makes perfect sense. But for like, since you know, since we have the Rock Hall in our backyard, why not take the aesthetic one year of Pink Floyd, and design mm-hmm. uniforms, you know, design like your your city edition uniforms based off of Pink Floyd, 
um, you know, whatever, even if you just want to narrow it down to one album, that, you know, that you're, you know, one series of albums, right. or whatever. Take, do that. Do do a David Bo... You could make that, that cutaway that we talked about in those old black uniforms, you could make that mm-hmm. a David Bowie cutaway. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, my God, yeah. Definitely. You could you could do stuff like that. You want to you want to pay homage to some of the hip hop acts that have been um, enshrined in the past few years. You can do that. I think that would be far more interesting than just a generic. Hey, we got rock music here and we're going to put it out of uniforms. Hey, we picked we picked a bunch of bands we thought everybody would know. And we also made sure to include N.W.A. in there. You know, like it's yeah, man, like that is a way better approach to it. And you make a really good point about the size. So hopefully when you see it on TV, it just basically looks like a black jersey that says Cleveland going going across the like almost like the Brooklyn Nets jersey, but not as like not the curvy kind of font. And man, I just that's a way better way to go. And like those Minnesota Prince jerseys are fucking awesome yep. for purple, no mm-hmm. less. Like I and I'm not necessarily like a, a big purple guy of a couple purple things, but I'd rock that anywhere, mm-hmm. any day of the week. So by just picking one band and, you know, you could just you keep, keep the famous ones like the Beatles and Floyd and stuff like that, different hip hop like uh, acts that are in the rock hall and just go that route. That's a way better way to do it, dude. And it actually, I think, shows a little bit more creativity of somebody actually finding a way to work Cleveland in the Beatles font instead of just, you know, newspaper clipping the word Cleveland out of various bands. Do you want to I know. Do you want to do you want a really good one that I would start off with since you brought up N.W.A.? Go for it. Just the C L E and the same stylization as N W A, in the black and oh. red. Oh, I'd buy that. I'd buy that in a second. I'd wear that around Los Angeles yep. like it was the best thing I owned. Yeah, that that is amazing right there. You're so welcome, Cavs. There's a fucking billion yeah. dollar idea for you. Yeah, please tweet that at them later. Yeah, that's a really good idea. <laughs> that's actually stuff that I should have been tweeting at them instead of just like opening up Twitter and being like at Cavs. What the fuck? You know, like that was my. <laughs> I think you That's could probably I mean. do that to the Cavs a lot this year, just yeah. for anything. So get just keep that, just keep that, uh, just keep that uh, particular tweet on deck, ready to go. Pin it, just pin it. Oh, yeah, I think that might, I might that end up might be in a pretty good idea, and I'll get some kind of internet fame as the uh, at the Cavs what the fuck guy, like the <laughs> right. the cane mandible claw Reddit guy or whatever. Yeah, so. yeah. Or Ryan Gosling not eating his cereal, that guy. Yeah. So. <laughs> Okay. All right. So that was a really great five good minutes. Um, a really good five good minutes, I should say. There you go, yeah. And now we're going to move move on into the heart of the episode here. So I'm going to start off with just like some kind of general questions before we move into our big thought exercise. And the first question is, is um, how would you describe your interest in the Civil War when compared to other American wars that we learned about in school? It, it actually, it's pretty, it, it was pretty low and it's still sort of pretty low. Um, one, because, you know, like we get, we get inundated. I mean, first off, all the people that were involved in the civil war, they're all dead. Um, there's no, there's no one to talk to Mm -hmm. about the civil war uh, anymore. Um, and that's, you know, it's been that way. I think like the last, I think there are, I think there are like daughters of civil war vets who are like a hundred. You have to like look this up, but like civil war vets that were like in their seventies when they had kids and then they're, they, they've they, you know, they've had children and like, there's, I mean, there's like two or three of them in the entire country. So it's not like there's, you know, and obviously they don't remember it. So our links to the Mm -hmm. civil war are basically all dead. Um, so that's like a big problem Two, When you turn on the history channel or Nat Geo or any of these, what are they talking about? Pawn stars in the civil war. Well, pawn stars in world war two. 
Well, World War Two. Yeah, the, the, that's, that's a lot of World War Two stuff. That's recently. it. Yeah. We are inundated with World War Two stuff. They even just skip World War One. They're like, "Fuck that one," even though it, was, it came first. Um, so, like, my interest is kind of low, and a lot of it's because, like, I do enjoy World War Two history in particular because it's just so. It's God forbid we ever get into a war that scale again because <laughs> none of us. I don't think there will be anybody left to tell the story <laughs> of what World War Three would be like. Um, right. But so like the this the, the the general interest level is pretty low and and, and upon like this is more more recent times, um, I would love to see one of our textbooks that contained like Civil War stuff because I'm sure that it's not very accurate whatsoever. Oh, I guarantee it, dude. I pretty I would love to see even one of our textbooks from back in the day just to see how inaccurate and how like dumbed down everything is and stuff like that. I, I guarantee there's been we probably in school like missed a lot of stuff or got a uh, a skewed version of of the events that took place. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, dude. And like I, I like what you said about World War Two. I'm going to get to that here in a second because that right there is for me that is by far and away the most interesting period of wartime in like you know in the history of our nation you know there's everything you it, they still make movies about it that are incredible um it is just a time period that is going to uh, catch interest and draw interest till the end of times like that is just something that's going to be studied and talked about and nat geo history channel stuff till the end of time mm-hmm. and like when we first started out in school, like I think I was probably like fourth, maybe fifth grade civil war and stuff. And dude, I'm not going to lie. Like this was something I had zero interest in, like minimal interest in, in school. Like I was actually more of like a revolutionary war, war of 1812 guy. Even Mm -hmm. back then, for some reason, I thought the war of 1812, which still the war of 1812 is insanely interesting. And I do feel it's one of the most underrated wars. (laughs) Yeah. That we, yes, that's right. Yes. You bet. Which which (laughs) um, if you, again, if you read textbooks about the war of 1812, then it kind of leave that part out that we lost the war. DC got burned to the ground. Canada became its own country. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the like one or two page section of the war in 1812. They really gloss over that mm-hmm. one. Let me put it to you that way. You get a whole history chapter on the Revolutionary War, and then they work in the War of 1812 during the whole like building of our country uh, right. kind of lesson that would follow it and stuff like that. So I was I was really like more into that. And I guess there's just something about like being a kid and Fourth of July and hey, we beat the British and those, mm. just knowing that we defeated the British wearing those ugliest fucking shit red those uniforms fucking and tea stuff, drinkers like, goddamn lobster you bats <laughs> so like dude like i i was really more into that and i gotta also just acknowledge that we uh had help during the revolution so everybody who out there who thinks that it was a sole effort by america it was not and we owe a lot of it to the french, french for all yeah. of you military people out there who mm-hmm. can't stand the french and i know that there are a lot of uh, backwards militia people that listen to this podcast so <laughs> yes. but uh, one of our biggest audiences surprisingly <laughs> oh yeah Oh, I know we're huge in the alt right. <laughs> so, but um, but like as I as I got older, like I kind of got a little bit more interest in the Civil War. Like it's I, I, it's no, nothing that compares to World War Two, dude. Like I, I think like once you kind of not only learn about World War Two, like the the war, but everything else that kind of led up to it and everything with the Nazis and Germany and everything. And even to even some of the shit with Russia and everything else going around in Europe, like that is just, like I said earlier, by far and away the most captivating in, of interest time period of war that um, our nation has ever experienced. So I never really got into like 
full on civil war buff mode. Like Jason Wood knows a whole fuck ton about this shit. I mean, he's not, a history not surprised. Major and not surprised. Not, yeah. I don't know why I even brought that up, but, uh, <laughs> so like, but for, so, I mean, like I do have like a little bit of interest now and like, I guess like a lot of this interest is basically, I, I kind of look at the civil war as just kind of like an excuse for like the way things are. So if I ever like really need to ask a question or if it even gets that far where I'm asking a question about why the South is the way it is, I was like, yeah, they just lost the war. Like, that's it. Like, I mean, that's just kind of seems to be I mean, my you're not rationale wrong. or <laughs> you're, you're not wrong. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> so like, I, I do like, you know, that is one of the things that kind of piques my interest. And the other thing too, is, the fact that this war was not us versus like another country. And I think like when you're a kid, you're a little bit, it's a little bit easier to grasp the idea of America versus England or, you know, like America versus Spain or something like that. And I don't believe I fully like comprehended like the idea of America going to war with itself. But as I got older, like I just, I kind of just find it fascinating and just the whole, like, you know, just, what led up to it. Not necessarily some of the battle stuff. I've been hammering that shit been hammered in my head forever and everything. But uh I just kind of find it interesting. And like part of my interest in this is kind of like how I put the framework together for the episode that you guys are listening to right now. And hopefully you will continue to listen and enjoy it. So yeah, so I mean that's kind of where I'm at, dude. Like I I I guess I'm kind of on like the same wavelength as you where it's not like the highest of interest for me. But um I do think that it's insanely relevant especially like in in these times that we've endured like the last uh couple of years and everything mm. so um okay so i want to ask you next is uh if civil war didn't happen when it did would we would we've had a civil war eventually in america i i really don't think so um because the civil war is so deeply rooted in it's so deeply rooted in slavery and the exploitation of slavery for the south that if we basically, if, 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 if the Union states essentially were just like fine with what was happening, continue to happen in the South, then I, can't, I, couldn't, I just can't imagine a reason why we would ever go to war with ourselves. No, that's a really good point. That, that's, that's a really, really good point. Like I, I took the opposite approach. Like I say that I said, yes, I, I think that this would have eventually happened, but it's not like something that there was like, oh my God, all these years. I really think that there was just a small window of time for this whole thing to happen. So like the civil war was like 1861 to 65 or something like that. We're maybe talking into like the 1870s through the 1890s would have been it. And then once you hit the turn of the century, then it's just basically one thing after another, after another. I mean, you're looking at 10 or 15 years into the 1900s. And then all of a sudden this, um, you know, world war one happens and everything followed by world war two. I just don't even think we would have been able to get a civil war post like 1890. But I do think that tensions and everything like that were running so high that while it, if it did not happen in the 1860s at some point in time, this would have happened like at least prior to 1900. I just think we're such a war war, this war, that guns and fighting and all that stuff. And I mean, if there was ever a point in time to take advantage of the ability to see for succession and everything, this was the time period. And we're going to, we'll get into, there's some stuff about the, the end of the war that I'll save for the way, way later on right. in the episode. But, but, the, but that, that's just my stance on it. So I took a little bit more different of an approach to gotcha. the, uh, the answer. Yeah, for sure. Gotcha. Cool. So in moving right along, and I'm going to bring up this thing cause my computer just uh, kind of froze on me for a second. Okay. So 
now in the last couple of weeks, like, well, this would be even longer now. Uh, John Voigt, he released this video and I'm, I'm going right to this because I, I hate John Voigt probably just as much as I hate James Woods. So these are kind of like my two default conservative celebrities that I kind of go to with stuff. And uh, he uses this phrase, we're in the greatest fight since the Civil War. And like I've also seen like, you know, the Civil War comparisons all over the place like and like i said earlier like i thought it seemed to be a lot i mean it's definitely a lot in the last couple years but i think that they've been hammering the whole like tensions like the civil war for a very long time now i just can't pinpoint exactly when this whole thing kind Mm -hmm. of started for me but he they use this kind of civil war to you know basically like kind of describe the current climate in america and uh when people in the media do reference the civil war to describe America state today. Are these people correct? No, not even remotely close. Um, not even, not even remotely close. It's, it's a very, I'm going to kind of leak into the next question here. It's, this is the only, we're a lot of developed countries. Um, you know, they've had civil wars so frequently that they don't even bother to call them civil wars. It's just unrest. I mean, look what's been going on Look what's been going on in African nations for for centuries. Look what's been going on mm-hmm. in a lot of like the the you know the Balkans for decades and really centuries actually too. It's they're in a constant state of civil war. They don't even like think about it necessarily the same way we do. We we had a definitive. <clears throat> I mean, I don't know if it de- like there are still ramifications from the civil war today, obviously, but like once that war was over. We haven't gone. It's not like all of a sudden Alabama and and uh, Illinois started fighting again. Like it, it was over when it was over. Um, when the Union won, that was it. Um, it's so in our country, there is only one big event that we can kind of go back to to reference as sort of sort as a excuse me a shorthand for how to how to describe an, an ideological gap. Um, if we were a country that was constantly at war, it, the civil war would just have been another thing that happened. Um, it, we wouldn't be referencing it over and over again, the way that, you know, the political pundits in the media like to like to reference it. Yeah, that's a very, very good response, dude. Like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of in the neighborhood of where, where you are with, um, with your response and dude, you're right. Okay. You, there's no denying that. Like if we were something that were constantly at war, like if these, some of these Eastern European countries or even some of these countries in the middle East, like they might not, we might need to even be able to have a civil war kind of reference that would resonate with people mm-hmm. and stuff like that in the way that this does. And I'll, I'll, I'll also ask the next question on in a second here, but I just like, I feel that you're right. This is kind of like the default ideological gap kind of reference that, people get to and everything or that people use and the country even just as far as its own land mass and even states it's, it's just two completely different environments you know and i gotta say like outside of maybe the the political spectrum or like the occasional like um you know one just i guess like maybe like the, the the occasional kind of internet article that pops up in your feed about like some guy in the south with a bunch of flags or some one of these kind of like idiot people screaming about america being in the civil war this is not a popular topic of conversation like it's not like my neighbors or anything like that are talking about the next civil war this isn't like something that i even get a vibe that is on people's minds at all 
Like it just seems to be this thing that's a um, just which I'll, I'll get into my thoughts on the next question here, which the next question is, is like if it, if um, which is basically like, you know, uh, hold on, <laughs> which is basically if there is a specific reason that the Civil War is constantly referenced, it's just basically like this is like dog whistling language here. This is something that I think people like they hear about. It's used to like just feed into your emotions and everything. Mm-hmm. It's a very specific and very, very general piece of language that is used to just kind of like incite people. Cause honestly, like how else, like how else would you really describe political divides in this country in a dramatic way? I, I don't even know right. if you could. No, that, that's, that's exactly yeah. it. It's theatrics is dramatic. Last time I checked, um, you know, the GOP wasn't planning a bill in the house to reinstitute slavery. The day that that happens, then yes, we can talk about this being a civil war type of thing. Um, otherwise, it, it's it, it is for as you astutely pointed out, it is for it is for the dramatics of TV. That's why that's why you'll have someone, be it on CNN, be it on Fox News, uh, ONN, doesn't matter. They'll talk about the civil war because it's a very passionate and easy way to get people upset. Right. It's just the exact same thing with me and the asteroids uh, colliding with Earth headlines and everything like that. It's that exact same specific language designed to do like a certain thing. And like just to go back to some, these are just some questions that I, I wanted to ask you that I can't remember if I've asked you this before. But like going back to what I was saying about like, you know, just this this whole thing about a second civil war and this isn't really on anybody's mind. Like this isn't anything that like anybody wants, right? I mean, is there, is it, is it just reserved for like the, the backwoods militias? I mean, do they even want shit like this? Like, is I, I just can't really believe that this is something that people want. Uh, it's not anything that people want. I, I do think that there's a segment of when you talk about like the militias and these, like all these alt-right hate groups, they think they want it until they have trained American soldiers shooting at them. Then I'm going to go ahead and guess that they don't want any fucking part of that. Um, when there's a tank rolling up in their compound, launching shells into their quote-unquote training area and scattering them into pieces, I don't think – I think they're going to give up. Oh, I, I don't see these people doing it either. And, like, you made this really good point a long time ago when we were talking about the um, – just mass in general and stuff and the, these people that they're not even willing to, like, put on a mask to do something better for their country so it's not like all of a sudden they're just going to get all this courage and stuff like that when mm-hmm. the U.S. Army rushes in like 10,000 troops, you know. So, like, I I mean, I think it's like one of these deals where, like, these people just have to be all about um, – it's just got to be like an appearance thing or it's either they, they, they're trying to, like, look strong and tough to, you know, be that, like, hey, we're ready for this, you know, mm-hmm. bring take on America's Civil War. But – I'm not going to lie. Like, I just think that these guys are, it's either a bunch of dudes just hanging around playing military and stuff, playing army, or this is like, you know, terrorism. It's what, it's one of those two things. Cause I'm right. not seeing like, I'm not seeing the forces that are going to like rise up and, you know, take the power back and everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I wanted to ask you about, that was one thing I'm telling you. I, for some reason I remember, or at least I thought I remember putting that particular question on an outline in the past, but I just, I got to clear the air on that because I just, I personally believe that none of these people, nobody actually wants this. And, but at the same time, it's very interesting because something nobody wants but however when you use that specific language it has does have a tendency to get people emotionally involved mm-hmm. in everything it does have a tendency of raise getting people all riled up and stuff those those militias they are free and welcome to go join the marines 
where they can put on, they can get all the weapons they want, and they can go over to other countries and kill as many people as they want. Um, but they don't do it, even though there's an open invite for them to continuously do it. They want to play soldier, they don't want to be soldier. No, that's another really good point, too. I never thought about that. If these people were really, really wanted to do this, they could easily just join the service. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that is totally fucking right, man. So when the country were like, you know, extremely divided on some things right now, how do we finally come together? It's, you know, there's this like, you know, the pie in the sky answer, the like the happy answer is that like we communicate, we reach out to each other and we talk about, um, you know, like we talk about what our issues are and how, how we can overcome them. But like the real answer, the cynical answer is that one group is going to win the argument or win, you know, win the win in quotation marks or, you know, it's one group is going to essentially have the upper hand on an issue. And then they hold on to that for as long as they can and hope enough people on the other side die or forget about it. And that's how we, that's how things go. (laughs) Yeah. I got to tell you, man, like you make a good point about the, this pie in the sky answer and stuff, which I just, that ain't happening, man. This just not, it's really not happening at all. And I got to think that at some point in time, there's never, we're never really going to be like united in the sense of the actual definition of the word. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think like, even when we were able to say that we were united after September 11th, I think that is more or less just predicated on this flare of patriotism that happened after September 11th and mm-hmm. everything and Walmart being sold out of like American flags and stuff. So that is like the closest I think to the definition of a united country that we will ever see. And I mean, I'm not saying that it's, you know, that what happened after September 11th um, is never going to happen again. And I, God knows I, I don't want any tragedies to happen, but if there is anything that is going to unite us for the sake of what I consider to be a unified country, it's probably going to take some type of calamity for that to happen. Correct. And, and, and you know what, it, it'll take a calamity, but you know, the racists will still hate black people. That's even right. even through yes. that calamity so it's yeah like great yeah it's so like it's, like everyone's proud to be an american except for i still hate this minority group <laughs> I, I know man and it's amazing how people are very very selective when it comes to their definitions of unity and everything like that and and i guess like if, if those things are going to exist which they are always going to we will never actually be a by definition, united country. I mean, like, I, I really don't know if that ever happens anywhere in the world, but um, I just don't think that we're really set up for it here in America, you know, at least. Mm-hmm. And some of these, some of these things, like you're right, these, um, somebody will get the upper hand on an issue and stuff like that. And like, you know, there'll always be like a little bit of, of a divide, but it's not going to be one of these things where the Democrats get the wins all the time. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be this back and forth where like, if there's five issues, the Democrats might take three, the Republicans might take two of those issues or vice versa and stuff like that. I don't think it's ever going to be like this shred of outright dominance on one side of the aisle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very, very nice. So, all right, dude. So let's get into it. The big thought experiment section of the episode that is just tentatively titled right now called the next civil war. And so the way I thought we could do this is I broke it up into like little sections and stuff. We can kind of just go through the, you know, like I'll mention the section, we can explain it. Then once we wrap up there, we can go on to the next section, just going on all the way down, like the um, starting by like in yeah. the beginning, assemble the empires, all that kind of stuff. Just to, uh, just, just so 
you didn't have to give like a 45 minute uninterrupted, uninterrupted. Of course. Thing. Of course. I, also, I won't have to do that because that's <laughs> not going to go well. So, okay. So, all right. So we're going to start off in the beginning. Okay. And in the beginning, or I should just ask you when I'm going to ask these questions together too. So when does the uh, next civil war take place and what is the event that plunges the country into the next civil war? I am. I'm going to go ahead and round up to the 300th anniversary of the first civil war. Uh, so it's okay. going to be 2160. And the there's not a there's not a very there's not a particular event. It's not like one thing happens um, to sort of set off um, you know to set off the chain of events leading to war. But um, because I you know and we're going to get to this question a little bit later. Um, I fundamentally don't believe that a civil war in the terms that we're familiar with it is possible. Um, but I do think that there is a civil war on the horizon and it's it's going to take at least a century for us to get there, maybe more. So 2160, what it is, it's federal rights versus lunar rights versus Martian rights. Once we began expanding into space, um, there's a whole mm-hmm. lot of there's a whole lot of political stuff that becomes extra tricky. Um, let's say we, you know, when we, we will establish a colony on the moon, we will establish a colony, a colony on Mars. Um, those things are guaranteed to happen in the next hundred, 150 years. Um, who polices them? What laws do they follow? There's, it's going to be, you know, more than likely a colony. Let's just start with, you know, the moon's probably the first spot. Um, it's probably going to be an international team. So do they follow Russia's laws, the U S's laws, Japan's laws, China's laws, South Africa, whose laws do they follow? Um, if we do have some kind of, there is sort of like an, uh, an international agreement about space, but believe you me, the United States will rip that fucking piece of paper to shreds if they think it's going to serve their interest on, you know, it's going to serve their interest on another planet or on the moon. So my, what's going to plunge us into the next civil war, um, in this scenario, the U S is essentially the seat of power on earth because it kind of already is. Um, but as we go farther forward, they're essentially going to be. It's you know there's there is going to be almost the the at least like the resemblance of a world government and the U.S. is going to be at the head of it, and this is what's really going to plunge us. It's going to be decades of 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 the United States and you know the Earth importing you know in, uh, imposing rules, uh, laws, trade regulations, business regulations, educational curriculum, money, even time um, will be kept to Earth standards, especially U.S. standards. And at some point in time, all of these people on Mars, all of these people on on uh, on the moon are going to be going, well, what the fuck do they know about where I live? Um, Mars is not Earth. We're fucking millions of miles away from them. None of this works for us because they're making laws based on what's happening on Earth, not what's happening up here. Same for the same for the moon. Once we begin to expand farther and farther out, these things are really going to come. And the longer that we spend, you know, once you have entire generations and multiple generations born and die on the moon born and die because these people can't like come back to earth by the way if you're if you're born on mars <laughs> that's where you're gonna live and die you're you can't come back to earth um so after we have like generations of this of essential look really is like essential uh colonial you know imperialistic rule you're gonna have it what it's gonna start out there's gonna be legitimate attempts you know through referendums appeals um you know sort of like putting it out there for earth like hey we we do want to remain in, with diplomatic ties with you guys for obvious reasons. You are still where we come from. You still are holding most of the cards here, but 
like your rules don't work for us. We need to make our own rules. And once that breaks down, because there's no way Earth is going to let, especially from a business standpoint, from a money standpoint, there's no way that Earth is going to let Moon and Mars go that way. And that's going to lead to a guaranteed promise of an armed conflict. I absolutely fucking love this. I love this angle for this thought exercise. I'm really glad that you were going with something this far into the future that it's also pretty fucking believable sounding. I'm not going to lie. Like there's a, there's a lot of stuff here that is making a lot of sense. And it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the expanse. At least like a, what I've a seen little bit of, for, uh, sure. for little, sure. Just it's the, I can, I can go ahead and tell you right now. I, I didn't like base this off of stuff that happens in the expanse. But the the whole point of the expanse is uh, the, the novels and the, and the show, they are essentially like the first three books are World War One, the next three books are World War Two, the next three books after that are about like imperial American imperialism. But it's just all done under the guise of sci-fi and stuff happening in space. Yeah, dude, I know I've been saying it for a while. I'm almost to the point of getting to that show. I have yeah. two more series to get through. I'm going to get there. I promise we are going to have a really great Expanse discussion one of these days because I've just been more and more I hear about it, the more and more genius it uh, it just sounds to me. Yeah. I really like that you're going with this angle, dude. That's fucking phenomenal, definitely. And I... um. I'm actually I'm going to kind of start. We were at least similarly thinking in one regard that it was going to happen on like a hundred year, some kind of interval, I guess, mm-hmm. like yours is uh, 2160. I'm actually at 2060. And okay. do you know how much it, we love doing stuff on the anniversary of stuff in this country? To. Yeah, of course. Of course. That's the only way to commemorate the Civil War <laughs> to, have, to another. have another Civil War. <laughs> so so all, then, all the Civil War reenactors like, are ready. Oh, I know, man. Oh, my God. Have you ever number? OK, like, have you either number one, seen one of those live or know anybody that's participated in what I could correct me if I'm wrong. Did Mr. Peterson not do one one year? Oh, he did. I've, I've seen him, I've seen a photograph. Yes, I've seen yeah. a photograph of him in his battle suit. Yeah. And stuff. Okay, OK, so, so he's yeah. the so only one because I know I know he's real into Civil War stuff or he was. I don't oh, know. if he, I'm assuming okay. he's still alive. I haven't. No one said he's dead. So. Yeah, we would have found out if that guy passed yeah. away. So good, good for Buzz Peterson. Like, love that guy. Definitely, that's the kind of fucking teacher that sticks mm-hmm. with you for the rest He's of awesome. your goddamn life, for sure. Totally. So yeah. So um, okay. So yeah, we're doing it. We're in 20, uh, 2060 right now, and um, I actually have it a little bit different. So this is where things start to get a little bit different. Sure. Is uh, this whole thing that plunges the nation into uh, the next civil war, basically comes down to representation and a lot of um. The states and everything like that, as we all know, uh, their representation is in Congress is determined about population and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So I found this article. Um, this is from advisorsmith.com. It's like an insurance research website. Um, and what they what I went to this website for was to find out the most quick, fastest, like uh, growing cities and the fastest, like shrinking cities in the country and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And now you can go find a lot of these things, but for the most part, from what I saw, some of these areas, they're kind of hitting on the same things. It's just basically different cities is what they list. So the, according to um, this website and they charted uh, 89 different cities and they examined their population between 2014 and 2019. And out of the top 10 fastest growing cities in America, 
six of them are on Pacific time. So there's uh, California, Arizona, Nevada, and Washington. There are cities um, in these yeah. states that are in the fastest growing. Mm-hmm. And then they also have um, one, sorry, two cities in Florida, one city in Texas, and then Durham, North Carolina, for some reason. I, that's where Duke is or well, UNC Durham, is or something. Durham is, Durham, it's, it's Raleigh, Durham, and then that's, it's called the Research Triangle. It's like Raleigh, Durham, and... Um, Chapel Hill and oh okay it's the research triangle there's a lot of there's a lot of like um it's besides like college students it brings in like a lot of people like a lot of people trying to do research there's like a lot of science okay. stuff happening there I got you it's so weird that the south has got to attract science but I mean but they, I, I keep forgetting the south does have schools they at least have institutes of higher learning down there so well, that's what they claim but, in um, Alabama but I don't I think they just play football yeah, I think that's just a football boed or whatever. <laughs> that's right. So like, okay, so those are the would be the top ten fastest growing cities, and then the top ten fastest shrinking cities are St. Louis, Baltimore, Anchorage, Toledo, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Milwaukee, Buffalo, and Long Beach, California, which is surprisingly the Toledo or Buffalo of Los Angeles, believe it or not. <laughs> so, okay, so basically what I'm getting here is that we have um, some states or cities in the Rust Belt. And um, and I know for a fact, like where, where I'm eventually going with this, is that like areas like Kentucky, even parts of the South, these are all going to experience like population declines over time. And this population is going to go to places like Texas. It's going to go to the West. It's going to go to maybe even Florida. And as these states see their decrease in representation and as well as their population, this is where things start to get a little riled up. Because I'm assuming that Kentucky is going to not want to give up some of their representation. And especially like if these populations get depleted over time, which I'm not going to lie, like if people don't want to deal with winter, go fucking move. And as the trends are showing, there's a lot of states in the north that are losing population. There's a lot of states in like the Bible Belt and stuff like that that are losing population. Mm -hmm. And all this is going to Texas, California, places where there are jobs, places that have newer jobs. And it almost seems like they're just kind of going to where like places are more affordable. And like, believe it or not, like Texas is very, very affordable, which I was surprised to learn that. I mean, it's still more expensive than Cleveland and it's definitely cheaper than Los Angeles, but it's a little bit more affordable than I had originally anticipated. When I found out you can get a house in Austin for like close, you know, like two, three hundred thousand in that Mm -hmm. range. I was like, oh, my God, that's surprising because two or three hundred thousand dollars in California will get you like a car. So like, you know, or your your baby maybe getting a room in somebody's house or something like that. Right. So so back to the discussion at hand, I do feel that um Whenever these population declines and whenever this representation decline starts to happen, that's the thing that's going to start to plunge the country into the next civil war. And some of these states that are gaining population are going to stick together, which we'll we'll get to that part here in a second. And some of the states that are, uh, you know, losing population are going to stick together. So, like, I do feel that the shift in representation and everything like that and what states basically the states losing power and losing influence this is going to be the thing that plunges us into the next civil war. I, I don't disagree with you at all. That's, that's a really interesting take on it because you're going to end up sooner rather than later. You're going to end up with, I, I mean, I have to, I, yeah, I wish I had the numbers on me right now, but you're going to end up with like more than two thirds of the country living in, you know, in not just in cities, but in, you know, in the greater metropolitan area of like 20 cities. Mm-hmm. That's that's how it's going to be, dude. And I'm telling you, with the way that 
technology is shifting employment and the skills that are required to get jobs and everything. I'm not saying that like rural, there's always going to be rural America. Okay. Like you're always going to have like farmers. You're always going to have like industry of some kind, you know, I I can't predict like how much manufacturing or whatever is going to be around, but I'm safely assuming that it will exist in rural America at some point, but real opportunities are going to be in the cities. Like that's just the way everything is going. And like, I would not be surprised if sometime much into the future, even though Ridley Scott sort of is hitting it with Blade Runner, that LA becomes like one of those big ass mega cities. Like, Mm -hmm. I just think it's in the future. It's in the cards. So no, for sure. For sure. Definitely. So, okay. So we're going to get into my favorite part of this exercise called Assemble the Empires, which is named after my favorite Sparta song off of their first album. So this is the part where we're going to divide everything up. We're going to, you know, let, we're going to give the lay of the land and just kind of consider some of these questions too, like which states decide to team up together? Where do Alaska and Hawaii fit in? What do these areas call themselves? You know, are they the blank of the blank? Uh, Any of their leaders, like I just thought it'd be funny to maybe do a couple weird random leaders who find themselves in in charge of these areas uh what's on their flag and uh, any alliances so you know it, granted you don't have to consider all those questions for each one of these things each one of your areas but i just kind of wanted to give you some general yeah, stuff to get you going so lay it on me dude how do you assemble the empires well obviously i can't do states um <laughs> i guess i couldn't imagine alabama aligning themselves with mars but um so obviously it's this is going to be a Martian and lunar colony. Martian lunar colonies are forming a pact to secede from it's from earth, but realistically from the U S United States again is the seat of power on earth. So it's the Martian and lunar colonies, um, are, are, are teaming up together. They're forming a pact, um, to, to secede. Um, Alaska and Hawaii do not fit into this equation either. Um, they're, they're on earth. So they're with the home team, if you will. Um, I'll just give you, I'll give you the names real quickly here. Then I actually want to spin it back to you. Um, so Mars, this is a big thing when it comes to, um, forming your own nation, forming your own state. Um, you know, your, your, your government, you gotta like come up with a name and you preferably throw away the name of whatever, you know, your oppressors gave you, right? Um, you, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to form a, you know, we're not like the, you know, the United States isn't the kingdom of America. Or, you know, the United right. Kingdom of America, right? We're the United States of America, we're America, we're trying to step away from some of that British stuff. So, similarly, Mars and the Moon are going to do the same thing. Uh, Mars is going to go with, um, they're going to call themselves the Republic of Kasai. Kasai is the Japanese word for Moon. I just thought it sounded kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I again, I'm assuming that we'll get to Mars permanently on, uh, you know, second. Like, that's where the next sort of... Um, cluster of, of colonies will, will pop up it'll be a little bit more contained so it, it's kind of kind of giving it a more singular name makes sense um but for the moon there uh the moon by the time you know by the time we get to 2160 i assume there's going to be several different sort of colonies all over the moon at various points uh you know for research pr- purposes for um you know space exploration purposes there's going to be a lot of spots in the moon so there's more there's more um, there's more variety there. So this is going to be a federation, and they are going to be the... I'm sorry, I've got to scroll down here and find that name. Um, so they're going to be the Selenic Colonial Federation. Uh, Selenic after the Greek word for the moon, which is Selene. Ooh, very nice, dude. I like and, all that oh, stuff, too, and I... Oh, sorry, I go, love go it. Just, Sorry, keep going. No, I was just going to say I absolutely love those names. Keep on going, dude. Okay. 
And jointly, you know, what the, their, their, their pact that they're going to be doing is the Olympian Selenic Defense Accord. Um, Olympian, obviously, um, Mars has the tallest volcano and mountain in the, I think the tallest volcano, I'm not sure about the tallest mountain, but they have the tallest volcano in the solar system, Mount, uh, Olympus Mons. It's Mount Olympus. So it's the Olympian Selenic Defense Accord. Yeah, dude, that's some pretty good stuff right there too, man. I really love that you put this sci-fi twist on everything for Absolutely. sure. And it only, it only makes sense that they team up together. And I love those names. I really like that you went into the, uh, the Greek and picking out the Japanese name and everything like that. That's some pretty cool fucking shit right there for sure, dude. Definitely. Nice. So, how, so how about you, how about you give me, give me your, you know, your top three questions here. Okay. So I'm going to go with the, uh, I'm going to do kind of a big info dump here. Okay. Oh, go for it. So, go for it. Okay, so I'm going to start off with the neutral territories. Okay, these are just called the these are just basically called the neutral territories. They can retain their own state's name, whatever they choose. Um, these are Montana, Wyoming, North and South Dakota, and West Virginia. Now, West Virginia is only a neutral territory by choice because nobody wants anything to do with West Virginia. So, I mean, not by choice. They're the default um, neutral gotcha. territory because nobody wants anything to do with them. Montana and Wyoming and the Dakotas and everything like that. They just kind of like, they're their own neutral territory. So they all, because they're neutral territories, they keep their respective flags. Any of their leaders are basically whoever they just had at the time. There's nobody specific there. No, no real room for humor. I don't know. Harrison Ford has got kids that'll live that long, but um, <laughs> so what's going on is the, uh, in this little breakdown, while they are neutral territories, they become the machine states. These are the states that like, you know, with the Dakotas, they become these like petro economies and everything like that. They're the ones that like really start to put their money into like doing stuff for the war and everything like that, you know, and I'll get to like kind of how that whole thing wraps up with them. Um, but just they're like the, uh, they're the machine places. They're the factories of stuff for the war. They basically, they see a potential for a war. So they try to profit off of it and stuff like that. So that's, and believe me, they welcome in people who want to live there. So it's kind of like the man in the high castle, but with this whole like machine state element to it. Then we go into um, the Western states, which is uh, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, Arizona, Utah, Colorado, and New Mexico. For strategic reasons and protection from the Rocky Mountains, these states unite together. Okay, these states, like I can see by this point in time in history, having similar, like you know, political views and everything. A lot of things are trending towards the left out here, especially they, like in yep. California, Washington, and Seattle, I was and Arizona, say, Arizona, Arizona, Nevada. Yeah. Ar Hell yeah, Fox News, you saved our fucking country, man. I'm telling you, <laughs> I will say that to the day I die. So Arizona and me, like, I do believe that while it's not there yet, Utah is going to become one of these states too, okay? Like, once people realize that, like, yeah, you got to drink 3-2 beer, but it's really cheap and really, really scenic, I think that um, this will become more of a population growth area as time goes on and believe me i've driven through utah they got the space so so these these states all kind of um all kind of unite together you know they're um they have the rocky mountains for protection and unfortunately where they really screw up is the flag okay the flag is going to look something more like the milwaukee flag which i'm thinking it's like the california golden bear and just a bunch of stuff from nature that's a representation of each state like maybe oregon's like for oregon there's a pine tree there's like a you know there's mountains uh for like for colorado but there's maybe like utah mountains and believe me dude all these states i swear to god have different mountains it's insane california has got mountains specific to california 
just as New Mexico has mountains specific to New Mexico. So, but they really fuck up the flag. And it's really unfortunate because I do love myself a good flag. So, um, okay. And just the elected leader, we elect for no reason whatsoever. I thought of this Timothy Chalamet, he becomes the, um, the leader of this time. It's uh, sorry. This isn't 200 years in the future, or this is only, this is 40 years in the future. I'm sorry. I totally fucking forgot about that. I should have cleared that up in the beginning. 200 years from, from the civil war. Civil War. Yes, that's what right. Sorry about yeah. that. I should have I should have made that clear. But yeah, Timothy Chalamet, he's still alive and kicking. He's still beautiful. He's the coolest looking eighty something year old dude that there is. He takes over for um he takes over as the uh, the leader of the Western states. Then we um this is obviously an easy one. This won't take long to get through. Texas is just the Republic of Texas. They don't uh offer to have anybody join them and they don't accept any offers to join any other states. Go not. figure. Yeah, definitely. So um, large population increase down there, like major population increase in the, during this time. Um, and then I have uh, Ben Shapiro actually pulls it out and manages to get himself elected. He's taking his operation from Southern California to Texas. Believe me, get the fuck out of here, Ben. And he will eventually rise to radio DJ prominence and then political political leadership at this point in time uh their flag is also just the texas flag because obviously just it's texas so um the northern states um are minnesota wisconsin michigan illinois ohio and pa these three states are threatened by declines in population so they all unite together um the flag is just kind of like a just an amalgamation of colors associated with the states so it might be like scarlet for ohio it might be yellow for indiana so something like that i don't know i didn't really think so much about the flag cuz this is a podcast it's not really a visual show um oh you should so think about I, it because i'm going to be using flags for the uh for the for the clips oh okay okay gotcha so you should okay. think about it so all right i will definitely um let me kind of maybe circle back to that one okay all right so um when it comes to uh, the leader, I'm thinking it's going to be uh, somebody. It's got to be somebody from Chicago. So I'm thinking somebody in the Emanuel family. Like those people are all fucking geniuses. They're all successful. It is completely within the scope of believability that an Emanuel will rise to power to become the leader of the northern states. And for their flag, let's just go with okay. So it's going to be there's six states in this union. So it'll be one color from each one of, of the states. And what I want to do is I want to split the flag in half and we're going to go one, one set of three lines is horizontal and the other one is vertical and it kind of creates this really cool, almost like Mondarian kind of, uh, kind of appearance on the flag. So let's go with that one for their, uh, for their flag design. And then we are going to move into the eastern states. This is uh, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut and the remaining New England states. These um, these guys have two flags, actually. Uh, one is a red flag and the other one is a pinstripe flag, and they can never be flown on the same pole together. So that's how this um, eastern states are going to go. Baron Trump, of all people, he's the he, Baron turns out to be good. He turns out to be the good Trump and he ends up leading the eastern states. Uh, Trump Tower is basically the new uh, headquarters of America, which in many ways it kind of is like how it is bringing everything full circle today. Mm -hmm. And uh, these these guys have an alliance with the Western states. So it only makes sense that California and the, it only makes sense that the coasts are united. Those in some fucking fashion. coastal elites. God damn it. I know. I just can't stand being around all these coastal elites. It kills me. God damn it. 
these stupid coastal elites. <laughs> but uh, maybe one day I will be one of them. God, I hope not. I really hope not. <laughs> so, okay. Then we're going to the District of Columbia. Um, we're assuming that D.C. has statehood by now. Um, this is just this is D.C., uh, Maryland, and Virginia. They keep the American flag. The federal government is is there. This is like their headquarters and everything like that. And I'm kind of imagining the federal government uh, maybe under authoritarian rule by now. I think it's 40 years in the future, so that might be a pretty decent assumption. Fascism actually found somebody who was smart, and they managed to squeak fascism through in America. So they are just kind of taking a very laissez-faire approach to this whole thing. Like, we still have federal forces, but basically everybody's just kind of ordered to stand down and let the states kind of have it out. That's kind of imagining how this, this situation is. And then the last two areas of the country are the South, the S-A-U-T-H, as I love to uh, make fun of them for that. And believe me, that's when you get down there, that's what it is. This is the Carolinas, Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, uh, Mississippi, Louisiana, Georgia, and Florida. Nick Bosa is elected the president, comes back home to Florida uh, with all his Trump-loving self and um, manages to rise the South to a whole new, older set of ideals, I guess. The stars and bars make a comeback, like was there anything else that we could have figured. And um, let me see here. So Georgia and Florida would be the only states that are gaining population in this whole thing. Like I just, Atlanta is just going to continue to become bigger. Florida is only going to be continue to become bigger. So these are kind of the states that would be controlling the, you know, pulling the strings here and stuff. Whereas everybody else is kind of sort of treated like second class, like states and everything like that, but they need Florida and Georgia. So that's why that that's why they're in it. And the last group is the heartland states of America. The flag is um, split up and down where it's a yellow bottom, a yellow bottom half to represent corn, and then a blue top half to represent the blue sky. And uh, they band together strictly for the pre preservation of the food supply and farming and everything that's like there. They're, I wouldn't necessarily put these guys as like a warring group of people. It's more of like a protectionist kind of thing where they still have forces, but they're not really attacking people. It's just kind of there to defend and make sure that the food supply remains intact. And I can't remember. I don't think I had anybody specific for this, this group's leader. It just could be whoever was elected. And um, the capital is in Topeka. So there we go. Okay. So that's my assemblance of the empire for sure. All right. There you go. Um, I don't think Baron Trump's going to be the good Trump, by the way. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah, believe me, if there's anybody that um, this could be the one Trump that becomes even more evil because he's young enough to like learn and see all the stupid things that his father and brother had done wrong. So if anything, he might actually end up being the most evil one. But for this example and for the sake of humor, I threw him in as the good guy. Gotcha, I got gotcha. you. Now you got All right. For sure. Think about those flags. Because I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you my flags right now, real quick here. Um, okay. I will say this: I didn't think of one for Earth. I, I have some ideas, but I'll get to it. The more important are the uh, are the seceding um, uh, are the seceding parties in this in this equation. Those flags are more important. Um, so the Republic of Kasai, um, it's three black mountains. The central mountain is uh, the tallest, representing Olympus Mons. Also, but also Mars is like covered, pockmarked with mountains that are really tall. It's it's if it had like one continu continuous mountain range, it'd be like the tallest, and it would like dwarf all the ones on Earth. Um, so you have three black mountains against a red background, a dark red background. Obviously, it's the red planet. Um, it, it, uh, there's a yellow. They're going to use a use a vexillological term. 
Uh, the mountains are outlined by a yellow fimbriation. Um, a fimbriation is just a line that separates portions on a flag. Um, so it's a there's a yellow uh, fimbriation separating the mountains, the black mountains from the red uh, from like the red sky. Um, on it also are two yellow moons with black borders representing the Martian moons, uh, Phobos and Deimos. Uh, those are over the two smaller peaks. And on the center is the spear of Apollo, or the spear of uh, Ares, obviously the the Greek god of war, the Ro the Greek counterpart to the Roman god of war of Mars. So there's a big spearhead on the central mountain. Um, the Selenic Colonial Federation. Here's another vexillological term. It's a Paul flag, a P A L L flag with three different colored panels. Um, if you look up like the 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 South Africa's flag is a Paul flag. It's basically looks like a letter Y, like a Y shape. That's separating mm -hmm. three different parts of, a fl of the flag. Looks like that. Yeah. Um, so on one of the panels, and one of the one of the three panel panels, you have a black panel with an orange eclipse emblem representing the moon and the sun. And then uh, the fimbriation for the pall is orange representing the sunlight, and that's separating the blue and separating a blue and a green panel, which stand for Earth. Motherfucker, dude. Really good stuff there. I had no idea of those flag terminology either and everything like that. That's a really good visuals and stuff that you painted right there. I could, I could really do cool it looking in, flags, too. I could do an entire episode on, vex, on vex, uh, vexillological terms and vexillology, um, which is the study of flags and emblems. I could do that an entire episode on that, believe me. Oh, I would love to do that one of these days. And I was actually getting, getting ready to ask you what vexillological meant. And <laughs> thank you for clearing that up for me, for sure. That's really fucking cool, dude. Yeah, you are a man who knows his flags. That is for sure. That's absolutely. Uh, as far as like leaders and stuff go, I mean, there's 100 years, 140 years from now, I have zero idea. So like there's yeah, there's not even like there's not even like a funny thing I could, you know what I mean? Like it's too far right. for jokes even, so... Yeah, I got you. It'd be one. It's it's kind of like, oh man, it's Elon Musk's fifth granddaughter, right? It's, uh, exactly. You know, yeah, it's, it's not it's funny. Tusk <laughs> Musk or something like that. Right, right? that's not <laughs> funny. So. No, I totally understand, dude. No, but those are really really solid flags, and totally digging on that for there sure. There you go. Uh, okay, and I don't. Yeah, I don't have anything else for that section though. So there you go. Okay, cool. So I'm gonna I'm gonna run back the flag thing just so you have it as a uh, something that can yeah, be turned sure. into a preview and everything like that. Okay, so I'm gonna start off. The Western States flag, like I said, this one's going to be the ugliest possible flag. Like, as smart as everybody is out here, they really botched the oh, wait, flag. Wait, do, the, do this for me. Just literally draw it off air. Just give me an idea of something I can go off of. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Just give me, yeah, like, you give me the, the blueprints and I'll, I'll fill in. Okay, yeah, that's totally cool, dude, for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I will do that. I'll send a – I can do that. I actually I think I can do that. No yeah. problem. Cool. All right, dude. So let's go into – the big showdown. So briefly describe how you see this war being fought. When you're looking at boots on the ground, airstrikes, something like that, I'm just going to ask these questions together too. How long does the war last? And just a body count, the casualties. Uh, okay, so obviously there's not exactly going to be boots on the ground. That would be that would be a massive tactical mistake for uh, Kasai <laughs> and... and, and uh, and Selene, um, and sort of the Selenic, uh, Selenic Federation, a uh, massive mistake would be coming to Earth to fight, right? Like, one, mm -hmm. their bodies have now been adjusted to living in two places that aren't Earth. You come to Earth, even if you've been training, even if you've been training, like, like uh, to, to pull from the expanse, the Martian Marines train at Earth gravity, just in case they have to come invade Earth. But mm -hmm. even when they get to Earth, they're still, like, there's a, there's a whole, like, um, 
there's a whole like there's a lot of political drama in the show and there's a whole like scene between like the martian delegate and the earth delegate um the martians cannot handle sunlight very well because it's way brighter on, on earth than it is on mars um so it would be a disastrous mistake for them to come here what's really going to happen and what really would be more um would be more impactful than trying to fight earth directly um the reason the, the reasons why earth is wants you know why we would want to expand besides you know besides exploration and research and everything why we want to expand farther and farther out um into the solar system is to make money there are you know bes- there are business aspects to it between you know just assen- essentially just hey do you want to pay for these missions and just someone want to pay for these missions um there's research that, that could yield money um once we get to once we get to as far out as mars mars is really like the stepping stone to a lot of other places in the in the universe or excuse me in the solar system especially the asteroid belt where exists asteroids that are probably worth trillions of dollars uh, individually and there's millions mm-hmm. of them um so what kasai and uh and the selenic federation are going to do are begin crippling those businesses choking off the supply lines um it's basically they're going to have a big blockade essentially that extends from that it basically extends from the outer reaches of the um you know of the lunar i don't know of the lunar orbit all the way out towards like the asteroid belt um you're going to have you're going to have their warships stationed everywhere and every single ship that tries to get to or from earth to run you know to run uh, people back to run minerals back supplies back whatever it is those supply lines are going to be completely fucking choked and they are just going to bleed earth dry um there's no more minerals coming in to make things there's no more metals coming in to make things um probably you know in a hundred years from now they're going to need water uh from some of the frozen asteroids out there that's not going to be coming in anymore it's going to be it's going to be a really really tough time on earth and you know so you're going to have like you're going to have these and by the way these are they're not they're not armies in space and they're not even they're not really as i i hate the term space force i get it but really what they are are navies right like mm-hmm. the military the way the military function in space would be the exact same way the navy functions on earth individual ships they're kind of on their own they're you know they're self-contained self-sufficient until they have to go back to port to get supplies you know you know get new soldiers let other soldiers go Essentially, you're talking about Earth, Kasai, and Selenic navies, or who are going to be doing the fighting. Um, Earth is Earth is in a really terrible spot. So Earth claims to want these people in there, you know, to maintain, you know, not just diplomatic ties. Earth wants to keep them within the Earth Empire. So then you can't attack these people. You can't attack their ships. You can't attack them directly. Otherwise, then you are basically declaring war and saying that you don't want them in the Empire anymore. You, you know, get the fuck out. But they're so key and they're so necessary that you Earth almost has no choice but to figure, you know, but to uh, you know, at the on the outside level, basically try to maintain diplomatic ties and come to uh, you know political solution. But really, what they're going to be doing is turning to guerrilla warfare and terrorism tactics. Um, they're going to they're going to use like supply ships as Trojan horses, right? Like Earth sends a supply ship out on a on a known route. And we wait for the Selenic Navy to take over, but it's just a ship full of soldiers, and we just annihilate them from there. Um, you know, dummy transport ships that are used as bait to keep uh, to keep the defense accord ships away, or even probably more than likely, even like loading one of these ships up as a bomb and uh, just blasting blasting their ships out of uh, 
out of orbit and just saying that like, oh, you know, it was just an accidental explosion. Um, you know, basically Earth can't fight, Earth could not, cannot fight this kind of war without, without getting dirty, but they can't show everyone on Earth that they're doing dirty mm-hmm. things, basically. Right, of course, dude. Yeah. Very good amount of detail there. I do like how you have basically the people on the moon and Mars getting the upper hand here and stuff like that. And if they're cutting out the supply chain, costing trillions and trillions of dollars in asteroid and other outer space um, money and materials and everything. They're really going to have the Earth strapped by the balls. Yep. And it's only safe to assume that if we get to this point or when we do get to this point, that the world, the Earth is going to be reliant heavily on these materials and things like that that we were bringing in from space so cutting off the supply chain and everything like that you're probably going to be depriving earth of things that they are have now deemed essential because the evolution of whatever they're using these materials for is now like so super important Mm -hmm. and like i i dude like i believe you are like so on point when it comes to the like value of some of these asteroids. Like I saw something recently that it talked about like what one of these things would be worth. And like, it's a shitload of fucking money when it comes there's, to like the, the metals and the rocks and everything one, on there. There's one that like, there's one that they, they think is made. Like I want to say it's like made entirely out of like copper and nickel. And it like that asteroid on its own is worth like $10 trillion. Yeah, it's fucking nuts, dude. And you're looking at you're not just like looking at rocks that are like the size of a basketball. You're looking at just stuff the size they're of hundreds of miles. They're hundreds of miles across. They're as big as states. Yeah, yeah, it's dude, it's crazy. Like, and can you imagine like getting one of those and just like somebody melting it down and like what all could be done with that shit? Mm-hmm. Like, Jesus Christ, I I know it's it's amazing when you throw into the uh, the money and the raw material aspect of it exactly how bled dry the Earth will be. And it's also a pretty safe assumption that the earth has probably used up a lot of the stuff that we have now. And those kinds of materials from the asteroids are going to be in high demand. They're going to be at an absolute premium. And um, just to sort of like, and you know, just to, to dip into the expanse once again, since like we're treading on the same territory, that's like one of the big fights is that like the people who work in the belt, who work on, you know, who work in the outer planets are vastly poor in comparison to the people they're calling the inners the people from Mars, the people from Earth, the people from from the Moon, um, they're the ones benefiting from all the labor, which is again this right. the whole the whole show and the books are uh, you know an allegory for imperialism and colonialism. So it's not surprising at all that this is happening. But it's a realistic. This is a very realistic scenario. If we let you know when people live on Mars for let's say they're on their own for for a hundred years, they're not they're not Earth they're not Earthlings anymore. They're Martians. They're, they have nothing mm-hmm. in common with us other than they happen to be humanoid. No, that's right, dude. Definitely. And, and telling you, you make a really good point about that whole like training element too. that you're right. Like that is a really stupid move for anybody to come to earth and everything like your body. You might not even be able to survive. Like Probably you might not. not even be able to stand up. Your body will turn to like jello or something like that, dude. That's a really good point about that. Um, yeah. And so the war, it lasts seven years because that just sounds kind of cool. Right? Like seven yeah. years. It just, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a, you know, seven years. Uh, number of completion, right. I guess. Uh, so it's a seven years war, seven year war, just because it sounds kind of cool. Why not? Um, and casualties, there's probably a lot. Um, but not in the way you're thinking. Like, plenty of soldiers are going to die, obviously. Uh, you know, plenty of Marines and and, uh, and seamen. I guess, I don't, I guess they'll still call them seamen. 
um, if they're in the Navy. I don't know, because Spaceman sounds fucking bizarre to say like that. Um, right. But, uh, you know, but like, it's sailors, sailors. Um, you'll have a lot of, you'll have plenty of sailors on, on all sides dying. But realistically, what's going to happen, especially on Earth, and it's going to, you know, this sort of blockaded embargo is definitely going to affect the moon and, and Mars as well. Like, no doubt that's going to go both ways. You're going to have a lot of the, a lot of the people who are already in poverty on on both planets and the moon are going to die from lack of resources due to this war. Because this is, again, just kind of seeing this as like, you know, this being, the, you know, the outer planets and, and the asteroid belt being a lifeline. Once that lifeline gets cut off, where does the water come from? Where does, the, you know, where does the, the, the stuff for the materials to make? You're going to be talking about massive job losses, people starving. There's going to probably going to be end up, what's going to end up happening, you're going to have millions of casualties that are no one was shot or stabbed or blown up or anything, but people starved to death, killed themselves, that kind of stuff due to or you know got killed and and you know vi- you know violence that was motivated by you know needing money, needing food, whatever. You're going to have a lot of casualties that way. Yes, of course. Like you're right about that. And definitely with all the everybody dying and stuff like that, it was, was a result of these supply chains. You're a hundred percent right on that. They're even more vulnerable because they're in space. You know, it's almost like if one person dying, it could easily be three people here. You know, just because of the um, the difference in the situation and stuff. And I forgot to comment about this earlier, but I think you make a really good point about America using these guerrilla tactics and stuff where like, hey, by the way, like we can't outright say it, but we kind of got to do something anyway. So these terrorism and guerrilla warfare tactics, these are going to be kinds of things that like, you know, you're not if you're going after a ship, it's not just like one or two guys like you'll be going after a fleet of individuals right. and depending on how extreme these tactics go this could be the a lot of life that is lost you know this is everywhere from captains to the dudes like you know in the in the engine room and stuff like that yep yep absolutely all right so there you go fill, fill me in what about uh how does your big showdown go okay so this is probably like one of the most like at least like what I, cause I, you know, America, we like to do a lot of talking and everything. So I, this might even be the point where I actually tank my own thought exercise here for a little bit, but just, just hear me out on this one. Okay. <laughs> because I'm going to start off by answering the, the second question first. And what this, by doing this, what I'm saying is that this whole conflict thing, basically like from the moment that the States start to divide to the absolute end of the war, which which I'll, I'll get to when we get to it, um, this is only like a five-year thing, okay? And basically, this is four years of everybody getting organized and getting their shit together with at least like what they think is the best that they possibly can. And I mean, we're talking like everybody just so focused on getting troops stationed and getting weapons together and all this kind of war type things that they're focusing on that they completely lose touch of like actual governance and things start to get really bad for everybody really fast. And this is like, not just like with the South, I'm going to necessarily, because, you know, obviously because I'm not necessarily a big fan of the South, I'm going to say the South get, gets hit the hardest, but everybody else takes a hit too. So they're just so big and built up about making a point that they completely forget things about like food supply chains and interstate commerce just goes all fucked up. And like, I mean, we're not even talking interstate commerce even being like a thing in this point in time. It's more just like one or two trucks going different places. I mean, just they completely botch every fucking thing. Okay. So we're looking at almost like, almost like sort of cold, cold war esque in nature where it's just four years of a lot of buildup and planning 
but everything just goes to hell because nobody really ever thought what they were doing. This is just a bunch of way, people trying to get bells, rile up bases, whatever it is. And then when it's actually going on, they literally have no fucking idea what the hell they're doing. So what I'm going with is um, four years of buildup. So you have people that are stationed like all over the place. And I'm not going to say that no fighting happens because there's definitely going to be some form of like on the ground combat in some way shape or form okay you know i I can't rule out the fact of any kind of actual engagement in combat but it's not going to be this massive thing you're not looking at the beginning of uh you're not looking at a game of thrones war episode where there's like ten thousand people descending on a city and stuff it's just Mm -hmm. more like little kind of conflicts like along the way so i would say no drone strikes even if i don't even think they're really even at the point where like I said, they're just so screwed up everything that they just don't even call the drones. So we're looking at a couple of little kerfuffles, little scuffles, and then basically the war ends. So it's just basically like everybody realizes that this, and I, I, we'll get into the whole specifics of the war ending, but we're looking at basically a whole bunch of buildup with just minimal combat. So I'm talking maybe like 250 people, 50 people die or so. And then that's it. This whole big plan for a war just completely falls flat in their face. That seems about right for America. Yeah, it seems about right. I was trying to keep this a little bit on the realistic <laughs> side. And like, I, I just like, dude, I got to tell you, man, like, and this is, um, I actually, I, I believe what I'm about to say here is that like, I think that like, it is just a, bu- like going back to like using the civil war, like we were talking about like an hour or so ago, like this is just like, it's just basically like these kinds of things are just all for show. You know, that in its core, nobody wants, nobody really wants war. Like, nobody does. Like, I even think that even some of the most warmongering people, they have, like, a conscience that maybe comes into play here and stuff. Like, I, I just feel that somewhere in there, nobody really wants war, but they want to think a war is about to happen. They want to give off the illusion that there's, like, you know, that we're able to, like, stand up and fight and stuff. And in the middle of being basically sucked up in everybody's own megalomania, they completely throw everything to hell and what we thought was going to happen turns out doesn't happen. Sounds a lot like sort of stuff from the Trump administration. It kind of is a good, it's a good, like we're going to have a, we're going to have a big, beautiful war, the best war you've ever seen. <laughs> it's the best with the best, with the best violence. So no, I but, mean, uh, yeah, well, so, but you, you actually bring up a really good point and I, I don't want to step too far in this because I do have something to kind of add to this later. It's that like, it's not going to take very long for states to realize uh, this might as well go for mine too. It's not going to really take too long for states to realize that you're, you are far worse off fighting each other than figuring out how to exist, whether it's mm-hmm. as a collective unit or as separate units, but still cooperating. Yeah. Oh dude. Of course. Of course. And we, and we we'll touch it. We'll, We'll revisit that whenever you want to get into it a little bit farther and stuff like that, for sure, because I don't want to take away the bulk of the conversation here. But that's yeah. that's a really good point, man. It's totally fucking true on that, for sure. So let's get into the uh, the end of the war. And um, I'm just going to ask you outright, how does the how does your uh, next civil war end? So Earth has stretched its Navy and money way too far to continue this war that's increasingly costly. There's very little gain for it. You know, they're they're fighting this war where. They're, you know, they're, they're keeping supply lines open. It's causing, you know, they're losing ships to get 
they're losing two, you know, battle cruisers or whatever the hell you want to, whatever they're going to be called in the future. They're losing two of those to get one supply ship in. That's maybe going to help you like with a little bit of food, a little bit of, you know, raw minerals, raw materials, whatever. Um, you know, it's it doesn't make any sense for them to stretch themselves all the way out into into Martian territory, or I should say, Cassian Cassian territory, Cassian territory. It just doesn't make sense for them anymore. And Earth just goes, you know what? Fine. Do you want to be on your own? You're on your own now. Um, they still will have. Again, all sides realize though that like, you know, where, where do you know where do where do where, where do the best scientists and doctors want to go study? They want to go study on Mars. So they still maintain diplomatic ties to make sure that things like that happen. That there's still trade and commerce. That there's still like an exchange of education and ideas. But that doesn't die because, like, then that would really be the death of all three combatants in the long run, um, especially especially Mars and especially um, the Moon. So those diplomatic ties get kept open. Um, Earth relents, and now you know Mars is allowed to govern itself. the The Moon is allowed to govern itself um, with the sort of no, I wouldn't say protectorates, but sort of in the same way that um, that uh, Britain kept ties with Canada, basically. Okay, I totally got you on that for sure. And what I'm just going to run down the line here with sure. you. What does history call the next civil war? Well, here's the thing: history calls it. It depends on who won and who lost, right? Um, and and who was <laughs> and who was not involved in it, who was just watching. But uh, so the so <clears throat> excuse me. So the Republic of Kasai and the Selenic Federation will call it the Elysian War. Um, Elysian, Elysium, and Elysian being meaning of heaven. Um, the Greek mm-hmm. word for he- for heavens and uh, the heavenly you know heavenly place. So for them, it's the Elysian War. We we won the battle for heaven. We won our own. We won the battle for independence. Um, for Earth, it's just going to be very flatly called the Second War of Secession. <laughs> That's it. There's no real need to talk about it any other way. Yeah, I dude, I like both of those right there, and I do appreciate that you went for the um, the dual titling of the war and everything like that, as the Civil War does have the dual title here in America. Well, so, you, no, yeah, a, actually, and, here, yeah, in America, obviously, the Civil War, or if you're in the South, the War of Northern Aggression. Um, it, you know what they call it in in Europe? What do they call it in Europe? War of Secession. Really? You, you know what they call it in Asia? It very, depends on where you are in Asia, but a lot of places in Asia. It's, what do they call Asia? It's the American North-South War. Okay, actually, I kind of don't mind that one. <laughs> that seems I mean, to tell, that tells we, us, tells the job right there. Right, exactly. Like <laughs> we paint this very like poetic. Either way, this kind of poetic way of thinking about it, like the oxymoron of civil war, and they're just mm-hmm. like, yeah, the North and the South fought each other. <laughs> I like that a lot. I, I really do. I, I did not know either one of those, and that makes so much sense to me. I'm not. We would add some level of poeticism to our own, like to us fighting each other. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And everybody else is just like, yeah, whatever they're going at it. <laughs> no, I, I did not know that. I appreciate you telling me about that. I'm going to use that at least twice this week or twice next week. I promise. So, okay. So, um, now is, um, is the America, the world, are we a more unified nation world after, um, your next civil I, war? You know, I, I think, I think as we get to the future, earth is earth, earth and America are going to be more unified anyway. Um, but I think, um, but I think once we get done with the way the combatants are kind of set up, they're, they're not going to be unified anymore. And even, even in the sense that like once the, once, uh, the moon and Mars kind of dissolve their pact, they're going to start to go their own ways too. 
Like, there's going to be, we're opening up another new sort of, not that they're going to go to war or anything, but there's another sort of tie to this. That, like, not only, yeah, fine, like, you have to deal with Earth, but you also have to deal with each other. And so, Mm -hmm. not that they're going to be, like, so, you know, fractured beyond belief, but, like, I think in, you know, by 2167, yeah, by 2167, they're going to be separate entities altogether. Okay, I, dude, I'm telling you, that totally makes sense to me, too. If you're able to be a separate entity on your own and you have a way of getting raw materials and all this stuff, and if you have some way to turn this into some form of an economy, that does make a whole lot of sense to me. You know what I'm saying? And being that they're so far apart, why the hell would anybody want to butt into anybody's affairs anyway, being mm-hmm. that the distance is so far? So yeah, dude, no, that that completely, that totally makes sense to me for sure. And I, I could, if when we get to this point, which you know, you and I will be frozen heads somewhere, or even just like you know, whatever, existing in a uh, zeitgeist, a digital zeitgeist somewhere, you know, Either we'll way. be seeing this. Either for way, sure. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go through my three, and then I'm gonna ask the last question. Yeah, sure. We for had sure. to go that that together. Okay, so for for my the Civil War ends, like I said, it's basically this huge big cocktease kind of thing you know everybody's building themselves up and stuff like that and in the end it ultimately amounts in a lot of economic turmoil and a basically like one giant shrugging of the shoulders where it's like what the fuck are we doing you know what i'm saying so um it basically ends with a sit down somewhere in the middle of the country let's say topeka kansas the uh the capital of the heartland states of america everybody just signs a treaty and they just basically we're just reforming the united states as is okay now, everybody is in turmoil, though, because no one really thought through the specifics of this war. So we're talking just economic, economic craziness shit all over the country. And even the neutral territories, because I was going to bring the full circle on the neutral territories now, they decided to go all in on this war. They're like, hey, we're going to make some money here. Well, guess what? Now they have an overabundance of abandoned fucking buildings, but just, you know, like debt poverty all this kind of stuff like they didn't think things through so everybody has got um some economic crap to deal with and this i'm going to answer this question this actually kind of unites the country not in a full united country like by definition united but what i was talking about with september 11th where like this is probably like the most america has been united in a long time because now they have to pull themselves out of the giant fucking mistake that they made. So while I'm not necessarily saying that this is like a shining, gleaming example of patriotism, there's still a little bit of like a unified America that comes out of this just because they realize it's like a collective mistake learning type thing or whatever. Everybody just kind of, you know, comes together or whatever to get themselves out of this hole how long they're in the hole that is yet to be determined but for the most part we do have some kind of um some kind of unification here and when it comes to what history is going to call the next civil war they're not even going to call it a war it's just going to be called the great division mm. that's it just a, just a simple hey this we were separated at one point in time and that's it and it's it's going to be this will be something that um it's basically talked about but it's not necessarily as captivating as world war ii because even from me listening to my own words i could tell you right now that world war ii war stuff is infinitely more interesting than what this is going to be so so that's how that's how i uh how i wrap up everything and i wanted to ask you um this question which we, we could talk about together is what lessons does the country learn after going to war with itself for a second time 
I, you know, I think, it, it, and for me, for both of our scenarios, it's, well, there's there's a kind of a, there's like a similar sort of lesson we'll be learned. I'll, I'll get to mine first, obviously here. Um, it, like mine is that like empires can only be so big before they really, truly collapse under their own weight. Um, Earth, you know, we want to get, and for good reason, we want to get as far out into the stars as we can. But at some point in time, let's just, let's just pretend sometime in the next 200 years, we have like a big space station that orbits um, out by Saturn. You know, like mm-hmm. maybe several, eight, nine hundred people live on it or whatever. It's like a research station. Those people have to live on their own, make their own decisions, make their own laws, make their own regulations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We can't get to them but once every like twenty some years. And even if you were to come from like Mars, it's something like it, it, there's something like a like a like a sixteen or seventeen year window or something like that, like. We cannot get to you out there. We cannot make decisions for you out there. You have to make them on their own. So as as Earthlings just spread farther and farther out, they're going to be farther and farther away from the influence of Earth itself. And if you try to regulate these people that are that far away, they're just going to tell you to fuck off. Um, mm-hmm. and, and why shouldn't they? Like there's once you've been, let's just say again, like you and I, let's just say you you and I born were lived or you're know, born lived and died on Mars. What the fuck do we care about Earth? We, we're not from Earth. We're Martians. We grew up there. We lived there. We had kids there. We had family. That's our life. I don't care about what they're doing over there. So mm-hmm. once these empires get so big, they just collapse. And, for, you know, I have, I have a very strong feeling that that'll be sort of a... That'll be sort of something that, that we would try to head off before we get to this point. That, you know, you on, you on Mars and your Martian colony... You can you have autonomy, but you still have our probably it would be really like a protectorate situation that you you are ours, but you can do your own thing, you know, just as long mm-hmm. as we maintain ties. And for your scenario, the 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 idea of like this, this, the you know, the great divide, all of these states and all these regions of the country separating just a, a classic example of like, you know, take your open hand pretty weak ball up all those fingers together, it's a lot stronger to throw a punch with. Like, the you mm-hmm. can talk about how great, you know, how, you know, California has, like, an economy that is as big as most nations, right? California would still struggle under its, you know, on its own. Like, it would massively struggle right. on its own. Let alone, you know, all of the, you know, all of the Midwestern states who don't have, who don't have tech industries, who don't have, um, you know, they have no ports to ship things out of because they're in the middle of the fucking country. Um, Mm -hmm. like they would realize very quickly, like, this is really stupid. I'm having a hard time. We're having a hard time fighting this because we're just not set up to take on multiple combatants. We're not set up for like this to do this for the long run. Right. And my answer is is piggybacking off that and piggybacking off what you said about how no matter what you're fighting each other is like the worst possible thing that you could, that you could be in. And like, I'm telling you, man, I remember like when we first started to get involved with um with Iraq and everything like that in like the 2002 2003 time period and like i remember like gas going through the roof i remember like just stuff getting really expensive it's almost like we were paying some kind of penalty for being at war with mm-hmm. Iraq and like if we were going to war with each other all of these little like um, things like gas prices, food price, all this stuff, it's going to go through the roof. Like everything is going to be so much more expensive and stuff like that. And it's one of these deals where like, if you're going to go try to 
like what is worth more to you i guess like do you want to puff your chest and beat your chest and like hey i'm so tough but in the end like you yourself don't even have money to buy a big mac it just it's a representation of while we you know as a country and everything like that while we do have these differences while we do have very very heated passionate differences and like love hate relationships with certain people and certain ideas that no matter what like it's best to just live with that because is it worth like you fighting your neighbor like are you going to go like hit your neighbor because you hate them and guess what well that means that there's ramifications for you you could go to jail you could be charged with a crime you could have to pay money and fines and stuff like that and i just think that like my almost like my entire thought exercise is almost like a uh it might be like a it might be like kind of like a metaphor for like somebody in anger management or something like that where it is no matter what you think the extreme situation the extreme answer to the situation is that's never correct like it's never going mm-hmm. to be right it's never it's never mm-hmm. going to lead you in a place that um where you feel happy and stuff and i, I could tell you as somebody that um you know occasionally just has like a little bit of like a rager and stuff like that. And it doesn't even feel good as being the guy on the other side who is pissed off. You know what I'm saying? So it's, um, the whole thing is just a, uh, basically a big life lesson that just learn to deal with, learn to deal with the little shit because the major shit is probably a lot worse. Exactly. It's yeah, exactly. I, I have, I have some thoughts for the, for the final question I want to say. So Exactly. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so um, now it's time for the big question. The absolute big question, the whole question that I built this entire outline around is, now, maybe not as we described it, but is it possible for the United States of America to plunge into another civil war in our modern age, yes or no, and why? Absolutely not. Um, Part of it is just the sort of, we've been there and done that, and we have made sort of protections that it won't happen again, that it cannot happen again. Um, yes. Even even between like even some things that don't seem very obvious, um, like the way where military bases are situated, um, who gets to who gets to man those military bases? There's a reason why if you join the military in Ohio, more than likely you're not going to serve in Ohio for a very specific reason, because they want to move people, they want to move soldiers around the country. To mm-hmm. usually it's usually it's just strategic. You know, if let's, you know, if you have like a specialty, they want you at a certain place. But also, if you are, uh, you know, someone from the state of New York and you're serving in Georgia, you're probably less likely to want to pick up arms and attack New York for, you know, for the sake of Georgia. Um, There's a reason why we do that, that the military does that. That's not the main reason, but that is a reason why soldiers get moved around. Um, Also, like, as you really, the, the best point that you brought up. Let's just pretend that, like, um, Texas, Oklahoma, Iowa, Kansas, they all secede from the Union one day. Like, okay, um, it's going to suck for all of us because, like, where's our gas coming from? Gas is going to shoot up to, you know, $10 a gallon. Um, where's our mm-hmm. corn and our beef coming from? Like, we, you know, that's, that's you know, you're talking about, like, the bread basket and, and the meat, you know, and the meat of the country. Um, you know, that's that's that block. But, on the, but flip that on their side. How are they going to get things into their developing country when we have their airspace blocked? When they can't get things from from us that they need, whether they need new equipment, whether they need... How about, like, if we, you know, if um, Microsoft, which is uh, situated in Seattle, says, yeah, we're going to take all of our workers out of Austin. Um, so they're, you know what I mean? Like, so, 
Either if mm-hmm. you if you want to stay and live in Austin, um, guess what? You're not employed by Microsoft anymore. Our company's out of this out of this fucking shithole because we don't want to. We don't want to. Not Austin's not a shithole, but I mean, like, we don't want them right, in the I middle of this civil war. There's so many things, and we're so tied together now. There's just no possible way for it to happen the way that our last civil war happened. Of course, I, that, I actually started off my writing with the phrase "absolutely not." Dot dot dot, and like. I read about a um, there's a Supreme Court case that happened in 1869, which is Texas versus White, where they basically like the opportunity for secession came again. And they're like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So they made they made secession unconstitutional, even starting five years after the war had yeah. ended. So back then there was even a collective conscious about this whole thing happening again and stuff like that. And they put, you know, they started the whole like process to make sure that this whole thing doesn't happen. again. Right. And then. And then you're right. There's all these all these crazy specifics about like manning military bases and commerce. And you kind of, I didn't even think about the airspace thing, you know, like so it's just not going to happen. And like if like I said it, earlier in the episode where I believed that this time period was like the the, the pressure cooker, like, you know, the, the, like maybe like 30 years later, like 1860, to 1890 was the hotspot for the Civil War. Things are so much more integrated now. It just would never, ever happen. Mm-hmm. Like if you're, you're talking interstate commerce, that example that you made with Microsoft and everything and pulling people out of Austin, which you're right, is definitely not a shithole, but the war would be right. um, like these we're just too reliant on each other now. And like even if you take like the take the film industry, for example, like when Jess and I did a tour of Paramount Studios, Paramount Studios, you know, Star Trek and. Uh, yep. Mission Impossible and all that stuff. You walk around the studio and Ballers is shooting there. CSI New York is shooting there. Even like the film industry is so integrated into other sections of the country. And it was one so L.A. specific. So it's just it's just not even possible anymore. It, it really isn't. It's, and it's, you, it's on purpose. Yeah, it's on purpose. We did this on purpose. So we can't. Right, right, exactly. And there, there's one question I wanted to ask you because you brought up um, the California and the economy and, you know, California just being the strong economy, but still seceding was like a really, really would, would be a really stupid idea. There have been 27 secession proposals in 150 years. So, like, if secession is illegal, what the hell is the point of even doing this crap? Like, if it's just like to put a petition on the ballot, is that? Yeah, I, to, I, I to, can't figure this out. Just to bring, I'm assuming, just to bring attention to things. Like, I, I've even heard like the splitting California into four states before, um, because mm-hmm. you know, because it's so big, they're very, they're very different and unique. That would be a disaster for California. Um, like, oh yeah, no offense to far northern California. What the, what are you bringing to the table exactly? <laughs> um weed yeah i mean that's that's it but I mean, like you know what i mean like it's you're not you're not like that you're not um the central valley where you have like industry and stuff and, and you know farmland and shit you're not socal where like everything else is you're not nor you're not right. the you're not the bay with like all the fucking tech stuff what do you do up there exactly <laughs> like train militiamen yeah. Yeah, very true. That's probably what's going on up there. Get worship god everything like that go to stockton on the weekends yeah. like yeah and i'm telling you like i they had one on the ballot, like, I think when we moved here, like, the first time we voted, there was a California secession proposition on the ballot. And, dude, like, on top of these secession proposals, there is all – there's, like, a, according to Wikipedia alone, there's at least three or four different societies that are, like, completely devoted to the idea of California independence. And it's like, what are you fucking – who is going to watch these movies, like, outside of California? You know, if this right. is one of our major exports and stuff, like, that's a really – like, I mean, what are we possibly going to do, like, on our own here and stuff? I mean, they – 
uh, and is speaking from somebody who's lived here for two years, um, I'm going to say this as appropriately as I can. They bleed us. The, the state of California bleeds its citizens in every fucking way possible. Okay. Like um, my favorite example in Ohio, it cost me, I think $58 and 50 cents to get that license renewal sticker, you know, that goes on the back of your car yeah. and everything mm-hmm. out here. It's $148. No, it's $182 out here yeah. for the same, for the sticker on your car. So, Believe me, they can't bleed anybody. I mean, like they can't do it anymore. I mean, God only knows that like there seems to be a new tax or something like that that go that's up for um, up for a vote every single couple of years or whatever. But, dude, I'm telling you, there's only so much that that the state could demand of its citizens. So there's just no fucking way in hell that this is ever going to secede. It's like the dumbest possible. I, I thought this was a dumbass idea even before I moved out here. And <laughs> I just don't get why this is, this still gets attention. This still makes it to the freaking ballot. I just don't understand. It, the closest that we, at least, you know, in, in our, in our realm, you know, in our area of the world, the closest that we've ever seen to it was the, um, was the Quebec referendum. When was that, like mm-hmm. 1998 or 97, something like that, where Quebec almost seceded, came very close to seceding from the rest of Canada. I mean, very close being like a 5% or 6%. So it, it was right. like a lot of people voted to secede. And it, it does come up every now and then in Canada. But it was very clear, like the after after that vote, it was very clear, like what the downsides would be to Quebec seceding from uh Quebec and Montreal, essentially just Montreal, um, Ottawa, um, or Ottawa's in Ontario, Um, you know, like what the ramifications would have been had they been successful. You know, if they were their own country, Mm -hmm. a very small country with one big city in it, in the middle of, you know, near, squished in between two of the economic powerhouses of the West, like not a a good place Mm -hmm. to be. Right. No, I, I got you for sure. I definitely understand, dude. Definitely. Yeah, I just I had to put that in there. I was trying to find a way to work this in, but I didn't want I didn't want to put it like a whole specific thing about the California secession. But yeah, I couldn't go this whole episode without bringing it up, dude. It's one of the oh, dumbest sure. fucking things I've ever heard in my for life. Sure. So. All right. So that actually that concludes the big thought experiment of the next civil war. Um, yeah, man, I really dig the whole thing in space. I, I dug the shit out of that. And I, I got, I, I'm watching Hannibal right now. I started that I, I, a couple of years ago and I never finished it. So I'm, I'm rewatching mm-hmm. Hannibal. I've just, I got to get on the expanse. Like I, it's been too long. I, I got to fucking do it for sure. New, new season drops, uh, next, no, two weeks from now. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Yeah. yeah that will be cool to kind of like watch some stuff and then be sort of, sort of current on things like kind of yeah. like a late to the ball game kind of thing but yeah very very nice dude i loved it loved it a lot okay so i wanted to shift the focus to the civil war and entertainment because you know first and foremost we are an entertainment slash pop culture podcast that's correct and i i i did i drew inspiration from this uh particular section here from actually jack gorbett believe it or not he was uh, somebody that made me aware of this show on showtime called the good lord bird which stars the ever badass Ethan Hawke is this guy named John Brown. Kevin John like Brown, yeah, yeah, extremely abolitionist, like mm-hmm. to the extreme and stuff, you know. And you see these previews, and I mean, this this dude just looks like an all-out stud badass abolitionist type guy, you know. And I was interested to check out the show because number one, Ethan Hawke is the man, and if I wanted to be an actor, I'd probably 
want to be something like Ethan Hawke. And that does nothing, that does not mean anything with the whole marriage to Uma Thurman because I'm in a loving relationship right now. But uh, <laughs> I did, I had I'd never heard about this character, John Brown. I mean, I've heard of John Brown, like I shot the sheriff, John Brown and everything. Um, but I've never heard of this particular figure from American history. And it had kind of got me thinking like, you know, with the, with the new voices that we're going to be um, seeing and hearing in the world of filmmaking and storytelling, like some of these minority voices. And it actually kind of got me thinking exactly like what kind of civil war movies we're going to be seeing here in the future. And that may be a whole other thing for an out of itself, but that's kind of like where I, what I was thinking when I wrote Mm -hmm. this and my own personal, like if I was just to throw a personal hypothesis out there is I kind of believe that we're done with the movies like Glory and everything. I think we're done with like these big, large battle movies, like when in terms of the Civil War, there will always be a place for the large scale battle movie. There's always going to be a place for it. But in terms of the Civil War, I think we're done. I mean, I think we just we know I don't even really think anybody wants to see it. Me personally, I've, I've said this before, like Westerns and stuff like that and stuff in the 1800s. Very, very interesting. The fashion is awful. Everybody just looks so dirty and uncomfortable and stuff like I personally don't even think it's the right time period to necessarily continue to make movies off of. And I have started to come around around about Westerns a little bit. But so um I'm just kind of interested to see what we're going to see, like whether it's what kind of stories that are going to be told, like if we're all of a sudden going to become really familiar with like a certain character from this time period and kind of like how we talked about with the like potential like rise in Afrofuturism sci-fi. I'm expecting some kind of reciprocal kind of reaction movements, whatever you want to call it in the world of um, filmmaking about the Civil War period and stuff. And with this question, you know, once again, you and I are in front of studio executives, which is a, a place we imaginarily, imaginarily end up a lot and not happened in real life yet. But uh, we're there. And, um, you know, these executives, they're eager to make a movie about a particular character or story from the Civil War. And I just want to ask you, like, what story or person from the Civil War time period do you feel is ripe for their own feature presentation? I love this question a lot um, because, and I went with this answer. There's, it's not, a, it's not very specific. Like I don't have an individual like, uh, like John Brown um, that has like a, that has like a crazy story or anything. Um, but there is this very unique situation that the civil war presented that really there's no war presented for these people since. Um, but I would love to get a, a very, a very like a broad perspective, maybe even like a two movie perspective on, on, uh, or actually probably a miniseries, the way HBO is doing miniseries now, that would probably be, probably be better suited for like about five or six hours. Um, mm-hmm. American Indian participation in the Civil War. Um, okay. There really is no other experience like this. Um, from like, from the top, all the way from like the very top of like nations of, of American Indians down to tribes, tribes making up nations, obviously like it's, you know, kind of like the United States down to the state level. So like you'd have like nations, tribes, bands, which are even smaller than tribes, and even individual Indians fought on both sides. They fought on the Confederacy. They fought for the Union. Um, some of them fought for both the Confederacy and the Union. Um, most most uh, most American Indians in that period did fight for the Confederacy, though. Um, they, they basically had to make this choice knowing full well that if they fought on the losing side that their lives were going to be completely fucked. 
um, if they fought on the losing side. They also made this choice knowing that if they were on the winning side, their lives were going to be completely fucked. There is, there is just no way out of this war for them. Um, that, 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 that I think, I want to say about 30,000 of them ended up uh, fighting in. I don't remember how, how many ended up dying in. But, like, this was a war for, you know, it was a, it obviously it was an anti-slavery war, but it was also a war for American imperialism over the entire continent. And imagine mm-hmm. being an American Indian participating in what is eventually going to be the death of your way of life. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay, number one, I we did not learn a lot about American Indian involved or native American involvement in the civil war growing up. Uh, we like use that. American Indian for American for Indians in America, native Americans. When you talk about anyone from North America. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. I believe me the way that everything is going nowadays. I, I want to make believe sure me, that I, I didn't, I wasn't late. sure about the difference either, but like Canadians sometimes call themselves with Canadians are first nations, but they'll also call themselves okay. native Americans as like a whole to encompass you know, the U S Mexico and, and, uh, Canada, obviously. I got you, dude. I understand. Thank you for the clarification on that. Yeah. I got with, with everything in terms and everything. I just want to make sure that I'm using the it's, most it's appropriate tough, terminology. Chum, it's a tough time to be a white guy trying to do the right thing. Right. It so is, man. If you guys <laughs> only knew how difficult this was. Like, I mean, this is some major burdens I'm carrying here. Uh, having to joke. learn how, what to call. <laughs> we joke, we joke. <laughs> but, Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, and everybody, seriously, I don't think it's difficult to be a white person right now. <laughs> Just to put that out there. <laughs> so, but but anyway, like, this is something that, number one, is a big part of our history, a major, major part of our history. Uh, this particular, just to give even a little more specific, this is a, a big part of the Civil War. Like, these are people that took up a side knowing that they were going to be screwed no matter what they did, which definitely sounds like a protagonist of a movie right there. So I could, I could see this as a mini series, almost maybe being like a uh, anthology type thing where it tells like a different story of a different yeah. person, or maybe even an anthology series in the sense that it's like a different story, each particular season or something like that. Sure. Because you have like, there's just so many cool different places that you can go with this. And like, no matter what, with that core, I guess, theme of being screwed, no matter what you do, that is just something that I think that a lot of people regardless of whatever whatever race you are, if, um, if you are American Indian, if you're just some white idiot like I am, that's going to be something that I think that like a lot of people would connect with and want to and want to see, you know what I'm saying? And I could even, I can almost kind of see like the voiceover, like title cards. It's just like, no matter what you do, there's no way out. Mm-hmm. Or we saw something like that, you know? And going back to like what I said, we never really learned a lot about this stuff in high school. And like, I actually, it's pretty freaking cool to like, learn about the kind of stuff that you maybe did not know about or didn't even know that existed. Almost kind of like that, uh, Oliver Stone's history of the United States where it's Mm -hmm. just kind of like this retelling of facts or whatever, you know? And I think that that kind of stuff is, that kind of stuff is extremely interesting and something like this, like I like, and I'm going to ask you the actor and director and everything here in a second, but I'm just like, I'm seeing Quinn Tarantino all over this, like almost like a, uh, kind of like inglorious bastards, but set in the civil war time with American Indi- with the American Indians and everything. That's kind of like where I'm going with this, but who, um, who do you have as the director and the star of this or just any actors that you had in mind? Well, as far as the stars, like I, again, not knowing exactly how I want to do this. Like I, you know, they're not being like a singular story. You know, there's not like a, you know, like a, one chief that you know, I would necessarily has like a story like this. Uh, I'm sure there is, 
but, mm-hmm. it, but you know, I don't know the specifics of it, obviously. So for me, we're just going to cram as many American Indian and First Nation actors into this movie as we can. Um, yeah. West, give me West Studi. Um, you've seen West Studi in a lot of things. Um, he's been in movies now for the past 40 years. Great actor. Uh, give me Michael Gray Eyes. He's singer, actor. He's been more active in the last like 10 years or so. Um, Corianka Kilcher, of course, nominated for Academy Award um, for The New World, played Pocahontas. Um, mm-hmm. Give me Gil Birmingham. Give me Graham Greene. They're guys that you've, again, you've seen in stuff. If if Saginaw Grant is still alive, I think Saginaw Grant's still alive. He's in a ton of things. Um, mm-hmm. Give me Kara G. Just give me all of these. Just basically, you're going to fill the cast with as many um, uh, First Nations and American Indian actors as I can find. That's that's what we're doing here. Um and then to direct, since it is since it is a war, there's here's my dream director. Since it's a war movie uh, or you know a war series, but not but not specifically about the battle in the same way that like some other movies would be. Um, the dream director would be Akira Kuros- Kurosawa. I don't. Mm-hmm. I think he is the ultimate master of any director in sort of bringing out the emotion of what it means to be a soldier and the reasons why people go to war. And that's like what this, that's what this movie or miniseries show, whatever, whatever form it would take place. That's what it's about. It's not about shooting and killing mm-hmm. people. It's about like the reasons why these people with literally who are going to end up with no nation at the end of this, why they decided to fight anyway, when they could have, you know, maybe they could have ran and left their lands, whatever, but they did, they opted not to. But I think the closest we can get to that now in terms of like someone, someone who has the action movie chops and mixes them really well with drama. And that's Michael Mann. I think Michael Mann would be my choice for the, for the director. Very good choice. Fucking love heat. Like, yep. yeah, that's, that's some good stuff right there, dude. Yeah. And I love the idea too, of packing it entirely with first nation American Indian actors. I think that's great. Like you, you didn't say we're going to throw Scarlett Johansson as the lead in there, which is, good, which is good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, don't no. worry. We'll, See, we'll put, we'll put what... a feather in her hair and we'll paint her slightly Brown. Right. Just slight, just slightly, just slightly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's the way to do it, dude. And like, I, I am becoming a fan. I mean, well, I, I am a fan. I'm not becoming one, but I am just totally, I'm against this whole like whitewashing thing and all that stuff. And when you see some modern examples of it, like Jared Leto's, um, Jared Leto's like, you know, Asian, uh, Kamikaze, what, what, is, mm. what, is, what is the Japanese um, mafia called? Uh, 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 Yakuza, Yakuza. Yakuza, yes. Yeah, thank you so much. Jared Leto's got that Yakuza movie. There's Scarlett Johansson doing her thing. I, this just is not working well. No. And like, I feel that if there's ever a lesson that people need to learn right now is this whitewashing thing just cannot happen. Like you just can't even do it. It's just not going to work. You're going to get shit for it online. You're going to get, sh- you're basically just going to get shit from all angles. So no more whitewashing in any way, shape or form. Right. No, but I do like that. I do like that a whole lot. I think that's a really good, uh, a really good story, a really good story that not a lot of people are going to know about. And it's something that, I feel that that's going to work its way into time. So like at some point in time, we are going to see something like that. I just don't know if it's going to be a movie or a show or something. So you might be like, you might be on the precipice of some like, you know, groundbreaking stuff type here. So I, I have a feeling it'll a, happen. If it happens, it'll happen in Canada first. That'll be a Canadian production. Okay. Cause there's, there's a lot of, they have a significantly better relationship with, <laughs> with the first nations than we do with American Indians in America. Um, so yeah. much so that there's like, I mean, there's a lot more, there's a very good chance that if you name, uh, you know, you, you, you're picking out uh, an Indian actor, American Indian actor or, or first nations. Well, I should say this. They're probably from Canada more than likely. 
Okay. Like, yeah. more than likely these actors are all from Canada. Um, because there's just not that many in America, really. So... No, I understand. I never thought about it like that. And that's a, you make a really good point there. And if this is going to be something I could, I could see this being a Canadian production. They have a better relationship with everybody. That's just natural when yeah. it comes to, when it comes to Canada, for sure. So for mine, um, <clears throat> I'm actually, I'm am focusing on a singular individual. This is somebody I, I did not know anything about. Um, I, I can't even remember how I really found this name on the internet or whatever. I just kind of stumbled across it, thought it would be cool. This guy that um, I believe should be the uh, focus of a feature presentation, his name is Abraham Galloway. And this guy, he was born in um, Smithville, which is now Southport, North Carolina, in 1837. And this guy... He's got the all everything that you would possibly need for a movie, and it's almost like his life is designed like a like a four like a three to four act kind of structure. And he starts off um, in 1837. He's born and he's born into slavery, and you know he's got like a really shitty life for 20 years and everything. And after 20 years in 1857, he manages to escape to Philadelphia, and then he fl- flees further to Ontario, Canada escaping bounty hunters so like right then and there there's your first act it's this guy being into slavery of this big escape and then by the way he thought he escaped and he's not even free because there's bounty hunters going after him now he's got to go to canada and everything so like he's up in canada and he's there for like a little while and everything but he comes back to the united states and what he does when he comes back to the united states is he becomes a spy for the union and what he does is he goes and he goes into various like, um, you know, like uh, plantations and areas where there are like a lot of slaves, like, you know, concentrated into one. Mm-hmm. And he basically like, you know, gets information and then relays it to the Union Army. And then on top of that, he actually gets like slaves to, you know, basically like, hey, you're not going to. Uh, fight for the Confederacy. You're going to fight for the Union, and he did. He actually got a whole bunch of these um, of slaves to kind of convert and then go ahead and fight for the Union. And um, he worked under this guy named. Uh, there's a Union general named Benjamin Franklin Butler, mm-hmm. not the Benjamin Franklin that we all know, but um, and yeah, he was like this guy on the inside for this general, and um, you know, and it convinced a bunch of people to join the Union Union Army. And then by 1864, he became one of these five. Um, black leaders that met with Abraham Lincoln, basically over like suffrage, African-American suffrage and stuff like that. So in a very, very short period of time, he goes from being born into slavery to meeting with Abraham Lincoln. And this would be like what I consider to be like the second act of the uh, act of the movie and stuff, the big like, you know, going to battle. Mm -hmm. Or maybe this even tails into the third act and we have a very, very short ending, which is what I'll describe for you here is after all this time of being a spy escaping bounty hunters this dude actually comes back and he um he becomes like a major like equality advocate and stuff like that and he ends up attending the national convention of color citizens in the u.s um he establishes like five chapters of the equal rights league and then he's elected to the north carolina general assembly is one of the like three black senators to do it from 1868 to 1869 and uh, unfortunately, his time in the Senate is cut short. He died in 1870 due to a fever. But the dude had like a pretty solid life. And I will note that um, he didn't die with a lot of money because this dude was just like a big time philanthropist. Like he, he made money and like gave it away, basically. So I think you have a really cool, you know, this guy's life just basically is a three act structure or 
three acts with a little bit of a conclusion, like maybe like fast forward to him being an older guy or something like that. And he's walking into the North Carolina general assembly for that hero shot is the, about the, before the final Mm -hmm. credits roll and everything. So, so somebody like this, like just these, just these people that aren't Frederick Douglass, it's not Abraham Lincoln. It's not, it's just people that we haven't heard of. You know what I'm saying? And these are the things that I think are going to become like what is going to be the near future of, civil war based entertainment so for the uh, the starring role um i love this dude i would see him in anything i even watched pacific rim 2 because he was in it john boyega's the fucking man good like, choice i think that he would he would be a great uh, candidate to pl- play ever don't you love that guy he's mm. so, he's great dude he's so good um and then <laughs> i don't know why i picked this and this guy's name was in the news recently but um just as somebody to play uh, benjamin franklin butler I picked Richard Schiff for some reason. I saw this picture of this uh, Benjamin Franklin Butler, and I could see uh, Richard Schiff in makeup to kind of look like this guy. I think they have like the right kind of face for it and everything. And then um, I would have uh, Jeffrey Wright as um, of uh, Westworld, and he's going to be Commissioner Gordon mm-hmm. in the new Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a uh, William B. Gold, who is a um, once again, like an escaped slave who became something of himself and him and Abraham Galloway had like a, had like a friendship and everything like that. So I think he would be like, just as far as my three stars or three names that anybody would recognize. And basically the only three names that were on the Wikipedia page, these were who I, um, who I would consider. And uh, for the director, I absolutely love this guy. Uh, His movie, sorry to bother you. I think is, it's fucking amazing. Sorry to bother Boots Riley. Sorry to bother you is fucking fantastic. However, sorry to bother you is a one and 15 million years type screenplay. And like, I'm not saying that this is obviously the best screenplay that's been written in the course of 15 million years, but it's something that is just, it's so unique. It's so original. It's going to be hard for anybody to top that. And like I, I, I follow Boots Riley on Twitter. I'm intrigued with him as a person, as a persona. And if if there is some type of, I guess like who would be the next Spike Lee, I'm I'm going to put it on Boots Riley. And I think that this movie could be his Malcolm X. You know, like a lot of the, um, a lot of prominent African American figures have kind of had movies made about them. And this one, while he's not as well, um, Abraham Galloway is not as prominent as a Martin Luther King or, or as Malcolm X. I, I do think this is a story that needs to get out. And somebody who is like a Boots Riley, at least on that level in Hollywood, I think that this is like something that is definitely appropriate for him. Like um, a big time director is going to na- is going to land the, the Martin Luther King biopic, you know, like that's going to happen. The, whenever we do the um, like a. a, a God, I'm totally forgetting the guy who passed away this year from Baltimore, the the senator and stuff like that. Um, whenever he, whenever I, I totally, this is so awful that I totally forgot that guy's name. But um, whenever we make a movie about John something from Baltimore who died this year, what was his name, Matt? Well, Do you remember? Um, it, it's Elijah Cummings from Baltimore died. Uh, Elijah Cummings. Last, sorry. Hold on, hold on. Elijah Cummings died at the end of last year, and this year John Lewis died. John Lewis, thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, I, I, there was something I was crisscrossing there, and I should have known that. I, I totally drew a blank on that one. So, like, I think that whenever those biopics are made, they're going to go to, like, basically, like, the, the creme de la creme of, like, 
Hollywood talent. Like Ryan Coogler is easily going to get one of those. So I think Boots Riley, this particular historical figure, it's something on level for him. And who knows, with Boots' personality, he might be able to give like a certain Boots Riley kind of flair to the story. I That would go to Ryan Coogler first, I think, um, before it got to Boots Riley. Um, uh, just because Boots Riley, I mean, yeah, obviously a director, much more musician than a director, um, like significantly more. Um, okay. He's he's he founded the group the the Coup from like I don't know what would say like ninety two ninety three. Um, okay. He's been a rapper for much longer than he's been a director. I interesting. I, I think I I think um, you and you know some of the songs from the Coup. I guarantee it. Um, oh, I only say this because Ryan Coogler Ryan Coogler is a bankable director that would one hundred percent get a story this big about someone this big and like they would let him go. And not just because mm-hmm. of of Black Panther, thinking more of like Fruitvale Station, and even even something like um, um, fuck, uh, boxing, the the Creed. Rockies. What's that? Creed, Creed. Thank you. Yeah, Creed. Even something like that would probably would get would land him this before. However, how in the hell has someone not made a movie about Abraham Galloway yet? Yeah, I don't know. I like. I'm not gonna lie. For somebody who has done this much, and especially the spy element. I would have thought that that would have been a selling point right away. Yeah. When I would I actually like I'm reading through this, I immediately flipped down to like the input. There's there's not there's not a movie made about this guy. So I this guy is like definitely definitely a candidate that I would totally give a movie to. I just don't know how this is, has not happened yet. No, it, it's bizarre. Like it just I was as you were like I started to to do some do some googling on him, and I was just like going through everything. I'm like this this feels like. If the person who writes this, if they're a competent writer, um, they're gonna win. They're gonna win, or at least be nominated for best screenplay in the Oscars if they do a good job of it. Oh, this is this is Oscar bait. Like this is Oscar bait. Like we have not seen. Yeah. I mean, this is like the definitive version of Oscar bait for yeah. sure. Yeah, definitely, dude. Like, yeah. So glad we got a chance to hammer out some you know cool kind of. I'm just telling you, dude. There's we're done with the battles of the civil war. Let's like, let's now focus in on some of this cool stuff. And it's still a time period from history. Other stuff was going on other than the war. So I, um, I do believe that in the future, we're going to see a lot more stories about stuff that we maybe heard of, or don't really know all that much about. And speaking of stories that, uh, never really amounted to fruition. I could not, um, do a civil war episode without addressing this basically this thing we were talking about before and it's HBO's now canceled show called Confederate. And, uh, just in case, um, you guys haven't heard this word in a while. Um, this show was the plot line is basically the United States. Um, we're in the civil war and it ends in a stalemate. Like there's no like winner. And what happens is, is the South is allowed to continue to have slavery and other, disgusting forms of Southern life. So I guess like after everything that's uh, gone on this year, like how good of a decision did this turn out to be by HBO to cancel the show? Here's, here's the thing. I, I don't, how much have you read uh, about Confederate since it's been, can- since it was like officially canceled? Oh, uh, minimal. Actually. Okay. Like, I think I read the cancellation article and that's about it. Okay. I don't think we can really be sure. I don't think we, you can answer that question in a how good manner. I don't think we know for okay. sure. Um, okay. I think I'm generally, 
I am still on the side of this is like a this is like a such a a thin line that you that you have to you know this is such a thin line that you have to go down um, such a narrow path that like one false step makes this show just like glorified slavery um, right it, it it like it's just it's too it's too thin it's too thin a needle to thread for me um, mm-hmm. especially when it's especially when the the creative you know the creative the showrunners the creatives in charge are going to be two white guys, Weiss and Benioff. Um, right. Having said that, the writing team, the people that have that wrote the pilot and wrote most of the most of the series, are African American. Um, they're married. That's uh, Nichelle and Malcolm. Nichelle and Malcolm. Hold on, I'm already forgetting their names. Uh, Nichelle and Malcolm Spellman are are the writers. And they not only do they stand behind it, they think HBO made a big mistake by canceling this, and that they would have much rather had the dialogue after the pilot, after the premiere, than than it happening the way that it happened, basically. And this this obviously all happened pre George Floyd, um, mm-hmm. but I think I do think that if. According to according to the Spellmans, that there was going to be some really interesting sort of thought provoking stuff, that maybe it would have been enhanced by what happened this summer, um, as opposed to it being um, it being a detriment. Very interesting. Okay, I will tell you a hundred percent that I did not know anything about um, this those comments from the the Spellmans and everything like that, and you hit this so good with this whole. Th- walking too thin a line threading too thin a needle whatever this is like i that's that's kind of where i'm at because the last thing i've seen from Weiss and benioff was the last season of game of thrones so like i kind of immediately am under the assumption that this is going to be bad like no matter what this is going to be mm-hmm. bad and like i kind of thought when i originally heard about this i immediately kind of thought that this was what Django Unchained was going to be. Cause I originally thought Django was going to be a lot different knowing Tarantino and giving him slavery. I expected a Django is actually, I mean, crazy shit happened in Django, but I'm not going to lie. I expected a lot worse, like knowing right. Tarantino and everything. So to me, what I'm seeing automatically is this glorifying of slavery part or like just crazy harsh treatment of, african-americans almost like like basically something comparable if not even worse to the way that elizabeth moss is treated on the handmaid's tale maybe maybe like on that level maybe even worse and i guess like i'll just go to this question here is that like i guess like what would even be how did something like this green get greenlit like what would be the point of even greenlighting something it's like do you know like any of this um what the Spellmans were talking about that some of the stuff that would have been thought provoking like I, i guess i'm just trying to see like how this ended up even getting greenlit, even getting pitched, I guess. Well, I mean, greenlighting, it's, it's pretty obvious. Like, you have the, the Game of Thrones guys teaming up with, um, you know, with an African-American couple to bring controversial material to HBO. That's, like, headlines left and right. Mm-hmm. And guarantee you, had, had the show been produced and had the show had a premiere date and everything else, they would have probably shattered fucking HBO records for, for at least one episode. Um, yeah. so that doesn't surprise me at all. It's just it, like, and believe me, far more controversial, controversial and weird things have been quote unquote greenlit that just don't go anywhere. So, I mean, that's, 
and that that would HBO that would obviously which HBO's decision um, in the end. But I don't think I don't think that HBO made that decision just because they felt like it was a bad thing. It's because of how how loud the voices on Twitter and social media were. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, I, I got, I do, I gotcha. And like, it's one of those things where I guess like you just hear about the subject material, and I don't know, like when if you were, to, if somebody were to tell me that this was their own idea for a show, I'd be like, dude, this is like doomed to fail. Like I, I would, and of, as Confederate was, so I guess this is one of those things where like the the outlaw, the online uproar and everything may have maybe saved HBO some something. I mean, I mean, you're right there. No matter what, like um, the premiere would have just been through the roof. That would have shattered records, like the intrigue and mm-hmm. the, you know, the, that kind of like hidden, like, you know, X factor, like what is this show actually going to be about? I think would have driven a major audience to the show, but I don't know. There's, there's some holding that audience might be a completely different thing. Sure. Sure. I, I think, Again, I think it's it's definitely it's definitely for the best. Um, I think because I I just this 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 type of story feels like something that is best left to a book versus a TV mm-hmm. show. That because of the because of the sort of because of sort of the you know the, the very um, you know the alternate history nature of it, um, the the way that it could the way that it could it could look on TV without the um, additional words and understanding to sort of like bring nuance to it. Like there is, there's a book called underground airlines that is about four the four States in 2016 that still have slavery. Um, so like it, there, there is like a way to do it. And clearly it's, it clearly it's really meant for literature as opposed to something Not that you couldn't do it, but I just think again, that is such a thin needle to thread. That it, it's almost mm-hmm. like it, it. It's almost if you made an entire ten episode show or eight episode show, whatever HBO is doing now, um, with its you know with its uh, prestige TV stuff, it would be basically the miracle script, the miracle direction, the miracle acting. It would be a miracle to get it all right in a way that wasn't completely offensive to the African American community and completely and doesn't completely glorify what slavery and war were like. Right. Right. And. Dude, like I, you're right. This whole miracle, everything would have had to have been perfect, and I, I even it's just so difficult to get that perfect. Because let's just say, for example, you have the script. The script is is perfect. The, the script works. Everything that you think that you're that you're going to present through the script on screen, everything just seems to work. But it could be like a casting choice or something. It could be a tone of language. It could be the simplest thing or the smallest thing that sets somebody off because you are walking such a crazy thin line, like a line that, or I mean, threading a thin needle, a line of dialogue might look awesome in the script, but coming from just like, I don't know, the wrong actor, the wrong tone of voice, this might completely botch the meaning of the line that was originally Mm -hmm. wrote. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right about the, the miracle, the, the the perfect script, whatever you want to call it. Like, that's what this would have had to have been. And to give that responsibility to the people that are just like, yeah, let's make Dar- Daenerys Targaryen bad. Yeah, not going to happen. That's not exactly. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. I really, truly don't know who I would trust to do that unless like. Since you brought up Spike Lee, maybe Spike Lee has some sort of like some sort of like satire 
that he could do with mm-hmm. it. But even then, I think he would fail at this because it's, 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 it's not. It's beyond like a third rail issue. Like it, this is, this is sticking your hand into hot oil just to see if you could dig out like one last French fry. Like it just doesn't. Like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you doing it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a really good uh, metaphor. The French fry one that I'm going to use tomorrow. Guaranteed. <laughs> so, yeah, but no, I mean, you, you're just, you know, man, you're definitely right on that. Like there's just, there's just no real good way to, to do it. If any way to do it, like, I, I don't even know how even somebody like Spike Lee and putting even a satirical twist on it, like it may sort of like make up for whatever HBO was going for, but then it can also have the inverse effect and exactly. be like, what the hell did you just make? Did you just make a satire about like slavery still being right. legal? Like what the, it even, that almost seems like a little too extreme even for him. There's um there's a, there's like a faux documentary on YouTube called the, I think it's just called the Confederate States of America. That is imagines a world where the Confederacy won. And it's like it's like a documentary, so there's like clips of pe- things that are going on. There's commercials that are skewed that are feel like real commercials, but they're skewed towards mm-hmm. what a Confederate audience would want. Um, right. So like that's a possibility, but not one where like not one where we're like talking directly about slavery. I just don't think you can do it. Yeah, I I completely agree, dude. Like, it, and in the in the next couple years, like in the in the distant future. Um, you're still going to have to be very careful, but as far as like the next couple years go, and especially after the, um, crazy George Floyd stuff and all the, the racist shit. And I mean, everything that we've even seen with like the campaigning and the election and everything and the QAnon stuff, people are going to have to tread like particularly like, you know, they're going to have to pay real close attention, almost take it with extra special care for these kinds of stories in the, in the, in the, the near future. Yeah, exactly. There's no. so what you're saying, Chum, is we should write Confederate. I think that's what I'm saying. Okay, here. so we need to just so, we just so to, we're just clear. Just, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start a whole new theme on the Occasionalist, where it's help Adam and Matt or Adam and Matt write Confederate. That's <laughs> what our next episode is going to be. And what we're gonna do is just we're basically gonna grind out a pilot live on air for everybody to uh to everybody to see and then hey maybe we'll get the i'm obviously not going to read the lines we'll, we'll get a couple people to uh, read the lines and everything like that that we wrote exactly <laughs> our next and last episode that would be yeah that's right oh yeah believe me we would actually get shut down it's not just a matter of us deciding like hey we shouldn't continue the podcast out of taste we would actually get shut down they would be like okay you guys yeah no we can't have you anymore yep, Forget exactly it. All right, bro. Well, that uh, that wraps up the outline. Did you have anything else to uh, to add to the episode? Nothing. This was just a really fun, uh, a fun sort of as much fun as it can be talking about slavery, the Confederacy, and Civil War. Um, seriously, <laughs> like it was. I love doing these thought exercises every now and then, and I like, like, I you know, I could, I could, in a, in a way, imagine a more, um, you know, a more immediate scenario in which there's a civil war um like i can imagine that right but it's like mm-hmm. my fucking my fucking nerd brain immediately goes no the most logical route for this to happen is the future and it's going to take place in space um so like it's one of those things like i love <laughs> these thought exercises but like my nerd brain wins out like every time oh dude i completely understand man believe me like these thought exercises like 
I'm telling you, like there are times when I do them and I and I go off on like the nerdy, crazy tangent and stuff, and it's just it's fucking fun. Like who the hell cares? Like is somebody gonna call us up and be like, hey man, like you know how you guys were talking about an imaginary setup for the Civil War, like. Yeah, I just don't think any of that stuff's believable. That's a fucking point, dude. It's a thought <laughs> right. exercise. You know, it's the point of us to be create creative and stuff. You know, like this whole thing is like an entertain. You know, the point of this whole thing is like entertaining everybody that listens. But in a way, we have to keep ourselves entertained. You know, so I, I do. I enjoy doing these things very much. Like, yeah, it's something we can't do every episode. You know, obviously, but um, the whole like the remix episode that we did stuff like this is cool to throw them in every now and absolutely, a hundred percent. Hell yeah, bro. Do you want to take us out of here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is Matt Pagel for Adam Chemelewski. We are the Occasionalists. Uh, you can check us out on uh, you can check us out on Spotify if they ever fix or feed. Um, hopefully they will soon enough. But for sure, the one on uh, on iTunes or actually I think it's called Apple Podcasts now. Um, the one on Apple Podcasts works for sure. Um, I, I believe every episode is also on Google Play. And, of course, you can check us out on the main website over at Podbean or our Facebook page. Just search for The Occasionalists. So, once again, for Adam Chibalewski, this is Matt Pagel saying goodbye and thanks for listening. Until next time.